Hello and welcome under the Kotatsu. I am your host, Austin, joined as always by Danny. Hello. And Danielle. Hey, nerds. And we are uh, here for a new show this time. We are watching The Big O, um, not to be confused with The Little O. Uh, but before we get into all that, uh, let's go around the table, see what everybody's drinking. Danny, what are you drinking today? Uh, for a rare uh, choice, uh, I was at the store and I saw Red Bull and I was like, I haven't had a Red Bull in a hot minute. And they had um, a new flavor out and I'm a sucker for new flavors. So I'm having the amber edition of Red Bull, which is strawberry and apricot. Oh, that's not a new flavor. It's just a rebranded summer flavor from previous years. Wow. I know because my girlfriend picked me up, picked me up one from work the other day. Well, you know what? All, what I have to say to that is... <laughs> wow if, if you couldn't I'm, tell uh listener that was me cracking it open <laughs> i'm actually shocked that discord uh picked that up so cleanly um, yeah boost amazing. my gain all the way up just <laughs> get i i could not have uh called you out on that not being a new flavor i don't know shit about red bull flavors because i think base red bull tastes like piss and not in the good way um so <laughs> I stay away um is it is it good is the amber yeah, grease right. or whatever red bull is it good <laughs> i thought it wasn't that bad yeah i like the the kind of fruit flavored ones um in the same way that like i don't really like rockstar energy but like the cherry or like the red rockstar energy that one's really good mm. um I'm, I'm a freak that likes the artificiality of uh like energy drinks like as a selling feature it's not like oh it has a weird aftertaste i'm like ooh, it has a weird aftertaste fuck yeah as someone that unironically liked the hot cheeto mountain dew um i can understand uh, <laughs> i am unfortunately not drinking flaming hot mountain dew right now i don't even know if you can still mm. buy that uh, i am drinking unflaming hot coffee right now except it is hot it's just not flaming hot it's not spicy hot mm. it's hot hot it's ooh. you wouldn't want to burn your tongue that's that's fair yeah uh danielle what are you drinking i just made myself a latte nothing fancy but it's nice is guillermo del toro's face in it or uh, was that just... oh. <laughs> yeah i cannot do latte art i don't have an actual milk uh like a steam wand so i just use a cheap milk frother <laughs> I feel like that was like a latte printer where where they do like the I've seen one of the ones of those that are like full color where you can get like a full color photo of your face on your your latte it uses like edible ink. Uh, the future is now and I don't like it. I got to know if like that photo with Guillermo del Toro and his, his face on his latte. I need to know if like he knew they were going to serve that to him or if it was like a surprise because <laughs> I just think I think constantly of uh, I don't know if I brought this up. When we watched Gridman, but there's that amazing Japanese uh like variety show clip of like Guillermo del Toro meeting um, Pigmon from Ultraman <laughs> and they like surprise him with him. He's like, Oh, it's my friend. It's Pigmon. <laughs> He's like so happy to see him. <laughs> I'm like, I want to know if he was as delightfully surprised to see his face in his latte. Uh, but anyway, we should talk about some anime. Uh, Danny, this was your pick. So do you want to introduce the big O for us and why you picked it? Yeah. So, um, this show is one that I remember watching when it was on Toonami back in the day. Um, funnily enough, also the, the main character being voiced by Steve. Do we ever decide, is it Steve Bloom? I think it's Bloom though. I okay. like had just gotten into the habit of saying Blum over the years. Cause that's how I've like read it, but I'm pretty sure it's yeah. Bloom. Okay. Uh, Steve Bloom, please re reach out if uh, we're saying your name yeah, incorrectly. You wouldn't want to come on the show, <laughs> Steve, Steve Bloom. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, how much is your cameo for an entire podcast episode? Um, <laughs> Steve Bloom, who would voice uh, Tom on the Toonami bumpers, uh, also voices Roger, um, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But uh, So this is a show that kind of is in that same headspace as... Um, uh, kind of like Cowboy Bebop, where it's just something that you saw back in the day. I only saw a few episodes of it here and there, but I always thought it was so cool when they, you know, would say, you know, Big O Showtime. So it's this kind of like noir in like a future-ish world, but not like any kind of distinct time point. Um, it, it's 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 hard to describe, but it, it's very much at its core uh, a noir uh, thriller action show uh where and we can get into it the structure is is kind of episodic uh you know episode episode has its own little self-contained problem typically um but we kind of learn a little bit more about the characters along the way fucking fingers crossed it does not cowboy bebop on this one (laughs) god speaking of cowboy bebop like this is the same studio as well and it's only like what three years apart and yeah i don't know i just found it interesting like both of them are sunrise things from the later half of the 90s heavily based on a western genre that got popular in the west through adult swim and tsunami but is it also i think austin you had mentioned it's the some of the same people as batman the animated series so so if you don't know batman the animated series in order to like hit their um uh like episode number uh for for seasons they outsourced animation to a bunch of different japanese animated studios um including like um tms who does like loop on the third and uh detective conan and um one of the studios they outsourced to was sunrise so um i tried to look and see if someone had like done hard research where they were like uh and here's all these storyboard artists that worked on both of these shows and things like that i didn't find that but i i do believe it's just like commonly held knowledge that like yeah a lot of the people that worked on um batman the animated series worked on the show because they were at the same studio um at the very least it shows right like even if if you don't have that hard evidence like looking at this show it looks a lot like batman the animated series in a lot of ways yeah i was gonna say whoever um like without looking it up i can tell you for i would you know bet my salary on it that uh whoever did the ed art for this show also does the title cards for batman the animated Mm. series i wouldn't be surprised either dollars to donuts they're the same like shading same everything i mean that's like underselling the point that our main character is kind of sort of batman Oh yes, yeah, no, that show is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into it, but this show is just Batman with a giant robot, and uh, spoilers, it's sick. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great <laughs> premise, and they deliver on it. And occasionally Scooby Doo. Uh, we'll get into mm. that as well. Uh, but um, Sunrise is also the Gundam studio. Gundam and a bunch of other like uh, mm. mecha shows, uh, but Gundam being like the most notable one. I think they've also recently changed their name to like uh Bandai Namco Pictures or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm I'm mm-hmm. never going to call them anything other than Sunrise though, so they can go fuck themselves. Yeah. <laughs> the music is also by uh Toshiko Sahashi, which I'm sure you have production more production notes than this, but uh at one point I was just like, "Damn, this feels like were you like, "Damn, this feels like uh Gundam Seed Destiny?" because <laughs> you would have been right. <laughs> No, but I was thinking it was like Shira uh, Sagisu, mm. but Toshiko did do Ultraman stuff as well, and I was like, okay, I can see the stars aligning, and yeah, and Common Rider, and yep. of course the the best uh, <laughs> property of them all, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Seed and Seed Destiny. So 
the the lineage runs. Yes, <laughs> odd things to say when I go through my production notes, but um, uh, so you've seen this on Toonami before. You said, have you have you rewatched it or revisited it since then, or no? No, no. So I uh, I don't even know that I would be able to say at any point um, like. Oh, this is this. I remember this from when I was younger. Or anything like, I don't think that's mm. true at all for anything. I, I will just be like, oh, I remember Roger. I remember uh, the Big O. Um, I did not. I didn't even remember that Dorothy is an android, for example. Gotcha. I also caught this on Toonami at the time, um, but also at some point definitely rewatched it. I have uh, like a sense memory of watching it on like a shitty like not kiss anime because i don't think i was ever like a kiss anime user but like that kind of like illegal anime website um in horrible quality uh on a mm. laptop i have that that sense memory of being like i should rewatch the big o i don't know if i caught all the episodes of that when it was on toonami um so i've definitely seen the show twice um and then um on a recent season of ggp uh great gundam project they watched this as their backup show i didn't watch it along with them because i was like yeah, i've seen it before um, so some stuff is like fresh on my mind from that, but even that is like, oh, I forgot about parts of the show. Um, rewatching it this time. Uh, and Danielle, what's what's your past history with the Big O? Um, I'm sure I've uh, seen some episodes on, of it, like on Cartoon Network, Toonami, Adult Swim, at some point, but I don't have a strong memory of ever watching it, unlike some other Adult Swim shows like Bebop or Bleach. Mm, gotcha. Uh, well, as promised, I have some production notes. Uh, it is directed by uh, Kazuyoshi uh, Katayama. I um, think he's directed that uh, people will probably most know is he directed the original Appleseed uh, OVA uh, from 1988. Um, most of his credits uh, listed on Anime News Network are a lot of storyboarding credits. Like that seems to be what he's doing nowadays, mostly. Like he's got a lot of storyboarding credits on episodes of like Attack on Titan uh, and big shows like that. So not a lot of directing these days. Um, and then the screenplay is credited to uh, Kadayama, who uh, seems like mostly just kind of came up with a lot of the concepts around like the style and look of the show and like the big robots um, uh, in terms of like concept design. But like in terms of story, it's mostly uh, Chiaki uh, Konaka. Um, who people might know from one or two things. Uh, he is the um, uh, series composer for uh, Digimon Tamers, um, which is good until it <laughs> falls apart in the end. Uh, uh, GR Giant Robo, which is the 2007 Giant Robo series. Um, Serial Experiments Lane, which everybody loves. Uh, Helsing. Um, and also, uh, most notably nowadays for being like a crypto fascist and, and sucking a whole lot. Um, oh no. if people don't remember from like a year or two ago, there was like a Digimon Tamer stage play that was all about like cancel culture, um, <laughs> that people oh. found out about and like on Twitter were like, Whoa, this is weird. And then everybody in the know kind of pointed out like, Oh, Konica has like been like this for the last like decade. Like he's like been running a blog where he writes all kinds of like conspiratorial shit uh, and complains about things like cancel culture, etc. So dude sucks. And you could also like clearly draw a line from like the thematic ideas in serial experiments lane all the way up to, <laughs> I made a Digimon tamer stage play about cancel culture. Um, you know, like there's a through line there. Like with lane, there's, like, there was two paths for him. It's either become a queer weirdo or become a fascist. Nothing yes. in between. Yeah, exactly. He he chose the he chose the incorrect path. <laughs> it's it's literally the the Yu Gi Oh card from GX, whatever that one's called. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
And then, um, uh, so the show had two seasons. I'll get into some of the stuff about the transition from season one to season two, probably once we hit that. That's like the second half of the show. Um, but season one aired from 1999 or October 1999 to January 2000. Um, so, so split the millennium, much like Turn A Gundam. And um, which I guess, yeah, this would have been coming out the same time as Turn A Gundam. And then season two aired three years later, uh, January 2003 to March 2003. So put a pin in that to think what might have changed in the anime industry between 2000 and 2003. Um, we'll, we'll have some things to discover once we start the second half of the show. Um, uh, not bad per se, but interesting. We'll get there. Um, and then, yeah, y'all talked about this is sunrise, the studio that does all the Gundam stuff uh, amongst a bunch of other things. Um, but Gundam's like the, the big notable thing. Um, and then, yeah, uh, you mentioned the music by uh, Toshihiko uh, Sahashi, uh, who did Gundam Seed and Seed Destiny, which I will just say, like, one of maybe the better things about Seed and Seed Destiny. Although, like, for me, the score for those shows are, like, big hit and miss. Like, some tracks I like and some some I don't. Um, but definitely <laughs> much, much better hit rate than, like, the actual show itself. Um, and then, yeah, he's done a bunch of um, Common Rider shows, like uh, Den O um and zeo like shows i like a lot and he's he's currently scoring the current uh common rider series common rider geats um and then yeah he's done some some ultraman stuff as well so he's he's got some toku and um giant robot experience as well uh besides the show and um like thing with a lot of his stuff is like he's very like um uh more you know like symphonic and like classical in in his reference so, like there's a lot of like strings and stuff on his scores there's um more of a bent towards like jazz composition and a lot of his stuff um his music's interesting in terms of like what other people were doing in in anime music at the time um but yeah i think that's all the notes i got uh to get us started so why don't we just dive right into episode one which is called roger the negotiator um Roger Smith, top negotiator for Paradigm City, is hired uh, to oversee the retrieval of R. Dorothy Wainwright, uh, the kidnapped daughter of wealthy scientist Miguel Sodano. Uh, the kidnappers, led by a man named Jason Beck, try to escape with uh, the briefcase of ransom money until Roger, Roger finds out that Dorothy is really an android a replacement of her deceased human counterpart. Uh, after destroying the Brie case and returning home, Roger is visited by Dorothy, who requests that Roger protects her. Roger unwillingly takes Dorothy to her father's factory, only to see it in ruins as her father passes away in front of them. Uh, the thugs from before begin to shoot missiles at Roger and Dorothy, um, yet the two manage to defeat them uh, with the use of a diversion. A giant Megadeus, that's what they call the giant robots in this, uh, known as Dorothy One, uh, roams the city uh, and is seen attacking uh, the bureau building, overwhelmed uh, or overpowering the military police. Uh, Roger summons his Megadeus, the Big O, um, from underground and prevents Dorothy One from stealing uh, printed printing plates from the bureau building. Um, that's kind of where the episode ends. So, did you watch the dub or the sub? It's a good question. I watched the dub. I also watched the dub. Same. So where they all say Mega Deuce instead yeah, of Mega Deus. Mega Deuce. It's a Mega Deuce. I was like, oh my god. I mean, is um, that even like a Latin word? Deuce or Deus? Deus. Yeah, Deus. Yeah, it's a Mega God. Yeah. Okay. And I believe in the Japanese. I did not. I meant to rewatch at least one or two of these episodes. Um, uh, in Japanese and did not get the chance to, but I believe in the Japanese uh, audio they say it correctly. <laughs> they say they, they do. I I I double checked and it's it's not. They don't say it like Deus. They they almost say it like 
deuce, but it's mm. it is definitely like two syllables, not deuce. <laughs> yeah. Also, I love that the this episode didn't start with an op, at least in the version I was watching. Um, it it just it just started with cast in the name of God, ye not guilty, and then it went right into the action or right into Roger driving around. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I like how bold that is. And then episode three rolls around. I'm like, what the f- wait? There's there is an op. Um, which we have to talk about when we get to, but yeah, so like, so there are multiple different versions of the OP, um, but no, but the first two episodes don't have, uh, any OP, like in no matter what mm-hmm. version you're watching. Yeah. And, um, so I thought the, the vibes were immediately on point of, you know, Roger kind of driving around and kind of talking kind of to the audience as, as the narrator. Um, it, it felt very, uh, noir to the point that i thought of raymond chandler um who like i don't know i, I would say he, he's not like an inventor of the genre or anything like that but he definitely is a major player in the in that space uh you know back in the Dizay. um and i remember a quote that he had um and it kind of like kept ringing in my head the entire time i was watching this um i believe it's from his book on writing um uh, it's a bit of a long quote but I want to put it here and then we could talk about how it relates to to Roger because I think it fits him to a T so far at least. Um, So the quote is, uh, down these mean streets, a man must go who is not himself mean, who is neither tarnished nor afraid. He is the hero. He is everything. He must be a complete man and a common man and yet an unusual man. He must be, to use a rather weathered phrase, a man of honor by instinct, by inevitability, without thought of it, and certainly without saying it. He must be the best man in his world and a good enough man for any world. He will take no man's money dishonestly and no man's insolence without due and dispassionate revenge. He is a lonely man, and his pride is that you will treat him as a proud man, or you'll be very sorry you ever saw him. The story of this man's adventure in the search in search of a hidden truth, and it would be no adventure if it did not happen to a man fit for adventure, if there were enough like him, the world would be a very safe place to live in without being too dull to be worth living in. So I was like, I read, I, I saw Roger. And I was like, that reminds me of this fucking quote. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think it, I think that basically lines up with him. I agree because you know who also fits that quote to a T? Batman. Batman? <laughs> he is a Batman. Yeah. yeah. Batman is also just straight up a, a Raymond Chandler character. Like that's, yeah. that's what makes Batman cool. Um, and the fact that several times Roger literally just says, like, wait a minute, this isn't fair. And it's like, hell yeah, you're right, Roger, this isn't a fair deal. Even a child could see that, or whatever. It's like, God bless. Yeah, I really like uh, Roger. I think he's a fun character. I think, like, it kind of gets established a couple episodes later, but, like, the dynamic between Roger, Dorothy, uh, and the butler what's the butler's name uh norman norman um <laughs> uh, great it's yeah alfred. Alfred, exactly <laughs> Dor- dorothy is robin and norman is alfred um uh yeah like this the show is like there's a lot of noir in the show there's a lot of batman the animated series in terms of like the look and feel of it and and part of that is also like it is like doing like a kind of like uh also reminded me of ghost in the shell and ghost in the shell 2 of like a retro future aesthetic like leaning towards like 40s 50s culture like with the cars and the way the, the city skyline looks and all of that but also there are robots and the robots also kind of look like more drawn from like um metropolis style robot designs than like tezuka style robot designs like there's there's definitely something kind of art deco going on about the the mega deuses 
that I really dig. Um, so I, ju I just like a, a lot of my notes are just like, God damn, this show looks good. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I do the same thing whenever I, I uh, every like month or so when I watch an episode of Batman the Animated Series as I slowly make my way through a rewatch of that. Just go like, damn, this show looks good. Um, although I think the show looks better, but that's just like it. This this show hits my aesthetic tastes uh, more because it's a bit more sci-fi e than Batman the Animated Series is. Um, well, and there's it's not even just like the aesthetic for me. Like the the little like hints that you get of because like so we we kind of breezed over it, uh, but there is no history of for Paradigm City within forty years, I think. Well, no 40 one remembers years ago. it. Like, yeah, no, everybody lost their memory 40 years ago. And so this is like a city of like, it's such a good like sci-fi take on the noir setting um, because it, it like makes literal the thing that is like kind of metaphorical about a, other, a lot of other noir fiction, which is like, you know, like this is like a like a, a city that's like forgotten its past kind of thing, except like that's literally true. <laughs> like Everybody mm -hmm. in the city has literally forgotten their past. Um, and I, I love that kind of. I guess you could call it like apocalypse or cataclysmic event or whatever, where it's not destructive necessarily, but it is like life altering. And this, like, it's very much a world that is just trying to keep, like, you know, Roger even says, like, you know, humans are adaptable. We, we keep going or whatever. Um, and like the several times that Roger's driving around and he like drives over like a metal, like a loose metal plate that's like, you know, seems to have been something that's covering up damage. That's, that was there, potentially from a, a big O fight, I don't know. Um, like, I, I just kind of love that little touch of, like, oh, it's a, it's a city that's never, like, fully repairing, but it's, like, kind of covering it up and making do with what it what it can. Um, and also, Roger's car has a defense mode, because as soon mm -hmm. as he gets out of his car, people try to start stealing his wheels or whatever. Just kind of goofy. Yeah, it's literally the Batmobile like turtles up when he's got it parked, yeah. and then like he he comes home and he like berates Norman. He's like, "I thought you checked the brakes, and they were like like point five seconds off or whatever." <laughs> yeah, like, they're one eighth less efficient. <laughs> Norman's yeah. like, "Oh, I thought I checked them." <laughs> so I guess we can go chronologically um, outside of just like vibes. So he's a negotiator, and he's he goes to this meet where he's meeting the the Bister Beck, who I kind of... I mean, he's a little shit, but he's, like, so well animated. Like, he's so loosey-goosey compared to everyone else. Like, Roger's very, like, not, like, poorly... Like, purposefully stiff. Yeah. And and so, like, by comparison, Beck being all, like, manic and, like, wiggly um, kind of really works. Uh, and... And so they do the the money exchange, like very classical money exchange. Um, and yeah, he then like kicks the suitcase like they're in like a like a air hanger and he like kicks the suitcase across and then like Dorothy's blindfold and is like, all right, like lead her this way. And like, it's 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 just good stuff. <laughs> it's like classic. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And because he, he's the best negotiator in the city, which I love that, like as an idea for a job title is just the negotiator. He's like a fixer, like is like like what if Michael Clayton was like a like public office that that one can hold. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know for sure if it's like this is a job that the city sanctions or if he's just like a dude that like a freelance dude that people know to go to. Um I think I I'm so, okay with either of those being true. I think it's a freelance thing because I think the way that everything's structured and we'll get into it more in I think the last episode. Um but like this is very much like this is what like a cyberpunk 
world wants to be like all the time when when you look at like cyberpunk fiction bad cyberpunk fiction it's always like it's just the corporations and like we're all the hackers or whatever the fuck here it's like oh there's there's the paradigm corp like the the, the paradigm corporation the military police who are distinctly just there to protect paradigm corporation and then everyone else it's like as long as you don't get in their way it seems to be like you can do whatever you want kind of thing um but not in the way that it's like everyone's a hacker it's just like everyone's trying to make their make their way in life i guess um so i think it's just a private thing because you know the corporation comes up to him some old lady comes up to him like it's all very feels very anarchic outside of the the corporation. You know, they talk a lot about like the domes and if you're living outside the domes and like you know stuff like that. So, um, I think it's a, a freelance job. Um, that makes the most and sense. Then, yeah, and then so Soldano comes up and he's like, "This isn't my daughter. This is an android." It's uh, and, and so uh, Roger uses his rocket briefcase to get the money back. Yeah, you've always got to install rockets in your uh, ransom money briefcase as a as a you know a secondary measure in case things go bad. Yeah, you know you never know what happens. So again, he's literally Batman. <laughs> he's got gadgets. Literally Batman. And then yeah, they Dorothy kind of comes over and you know is like protect me and and Roger's like you're an android. What do you mean? Um, we also learned one of Roger's rules. I'm keeping a, a running total of the rules um, as they're explicitly stated. Uh, like. Uh, Norman is not supposed to let guests in unless they're young, pretty women, is what he says. Only young, pretty women get uh, unrestricted access to my mansion. Um, so then it's Dorothy, and and then they go over to the factory. And then more Batman action takes place, which I I love Roger just being like, you're an android, right? Like, you can run fast, right? And boy, howdy, my girl can run. We also, there's a scene, I think it's before Dorothy shows up at his mansion, where... Uh, we get a couple of these th- scenes throughout these episodes. It's not every episode, uh, but where he like he goes to like a coffee shop and like has a secret conversation with his like informant guy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if his name gets uh, said in any of these episodes, but do y'all know what his name is? I think I looked it up because I thought the voice actor was Jet. It's not, no. um, but I don't remember what it is. Uh, it's Big Ear. <laughs> Hell yes, <laughs> it's great. Um, and I love these scenes where it's just like, you know, classic, like informant stuff. Like I, so again, the production of the show is really slick and I love the framing when he talks with this guy. Like there's this one shot they use a lot, um, where the, you know, the, the would be camera is like placed underneath the table so that you see like the lower half of, um, what's called him spike, uh, (laughs) Roger and, Mm. um, big ears bodies, but their faces are cut off by the top of the table. Um, which one like saves on animation. You don't have to animate their, their mouth flaps. Um, but also it's just like a great way of being like, they're having like a, you know, a hushed tone, private conversation talking about some shit. Like they're talking about Dorothy and, uh, Soldano and all this stuff. Um, and also, uh, love the repeated animation of like Spike will, like, God, I did it. Um, Roger mm. will, you know, like pay him for the information to like put like a wad of bills on the table. And then Big Ear will immediately like fold his newspaper over it so that people don't see. It's just like really like good stuff. Love those little things in the show. There's a, there's a lot of animation like that, I think, in the show. Like, there's one point where I, I, I think it's in the episode five or six. Um, Ryan note like oh this entire driving scene is reused animation but it's fine I yeah really like it. but yeah um, if it if it's broke don't or 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, so he it's it's him coming. It's a bar. He comes into the bar because the mm. the bartender hands him like a, a Budweiser. Again, kind of just little world building things. The fact that he doesn't order any, he doesn't order it. Like it's just as he pulls up, the bartender's like, "Oh, gotta get my Budweiser out." Also, love the fact that like Roger, he'd be like, "Oh, he's this man of infinite class, drinks Bud." Um, and but anytime he goes to the bar, it's it's basically the same scene over and over again. Which yeah, good, go for it. That's fine. Uh, if anything, it it improves things because it's like it's not. I gotta break out my my special weapon big ears it's like oh yeah i'm gonna go see big ears see what he's let's see what he has to say um we also get some i don't remember when in the episode these are but we get some great um you know like you said like roger kind of narrates um some of the information about like oh you know paradigm city the city of amnesia or whatever all the stuff about like people losing their memories um so it's got this great like noir like voiceovery like you know somber reflecting on the city and you get some great uh, jazz music um, uh, from uh, Toshihiko uh, Sahashi uh, playing over these scenes. This is the first time in my notes that I just wrote, fuck the music rules, um, mm-hmm. which, yes, the mu- music is really good. Seed quibbles about the seed destiny and seed <laughs> scores aside, the music of the show is really good, in my opinion. Um, but then, yeah, they go to the, the abandoned giant robot factory. So the giant robot stuff is really cool. Um, again, ties into, like, the people have all lost their memories um and i like the the implication is that like before everybody got memory wiped this was like a society that had like the ability to build these uh mega deuses or mega deuces um Mm. and um but people no longer have that ability and so there's some weird stuff about like oh like the guy that built dorothy one which is like the robot that big o fights at the end of this episode like remembered how to do that which is like a weird like red flag to have. It's like, oh, people are remembering how to build these like pre-amnesia uh, weapons of mass destruction. And also what kind of, what was society like 40 years ago where we all just had these around? Like what was going on? Um, show like prompts a lot of interesting questions without like any of these episodes being about that. It is just kind of like a Batman the Animated Series, like episodic type of like villain of the week format. Uh, but it's got all these little breadcrumbs being laid about like the overarching like nature of the world, uh, which I find really compelling. Yeah, um, God, like especially I was like just thinking of Bebop like the entire time, like structurally, like and how they differ with like episodic with still some overarching plot things in there. And it's like, God, the show does it so much better. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, all the background stuff is constant and plays into all the little episodes a little bit compared to Bebop, where you'll have like five episodes out of 26 where the overarching plot matters and everything else is just <sighs> episodic. Well, well, like the, and it's really not in your face about it too. Like I, um, I didn't like forget necessarily, but like the fact that like, I think it's maybe the next episode the big ears says like oh he has a memory fragment and i was like oh that's just like some you know sci-fi word or whatever then i was like wait a minute a memory fragment someone has memories like what the fuck uh so like that's the like these little things that like when if you're not on guard for it you, you kind of don't necessarily pick up on it but uh but yeah no it, it's it's all these little like world building things and I, i'd be totally fine if the rest of the show was a bunch of like monster of the week things and then you get little oh yeah he has memories huh and then you know comes together but but so yeah they you know they're at the robot factory and then they get kind of uh caught out by um mr beck 
what is it jason beck is the full name i don't think they say that but like you know that that's his full name um and um and then i don't really remember the transition between these two scenes but then after that is when the important stuff happens which is a giant robot appears and starts like attacking the bank uh which again just like this is a batman episode <laughs> like the scarecrow is is attacking the bank and trying to steal the printing plates uh batman must stop him and his, his giant robot um what do y'all think of before we talk about uh the big o itself what do y'all think about the design of uh dorothy one in this episode i love that she looks like she looks like she, at, at first i thought she just had like bags under her eyes like the little like blue triangles i was like damn she is tired um but i like that whenever they're doing like close-ups on her to like emphasize that she's an android you hear like the mechanical whirling but outside of that you don't really to kind of really emphasize that like unless you're really looking you wouldn't know um like and there's there's literally a part where roger's like you know oh how could someone mistake you for a real person and dorothy's like well you did and roger's like oh it was dark I, you know i couldn't see well uh he also neglected to say he was also wearing sunglasses at that point but um like she's i i love and i love her and like initially and then as you see more and more of her like android abilities like her little like headlamp i I love that like little things throughout the show uh i think she's great i did mean uh dorothy one the giant robot but um (laughs) i agree oh well i thought you you said you said not talking about the the giant robot i meant uh not big o like oh okay but talking about the other giant robot um that's that's my bad i guess but i i agree i i also like um things with dorothy in this episode uh actual dorothy um she runs really fast which is always a good (laughs) gag for me i don't know why um but that's very funny and then um i just love how deadpan she is like it's a really good like uh juxtaposition to how roger uh is um where she's just like stone faced. I love that uh, the way that they showed her running fast was not to like do a different animation. It's just to literally have the same animation get faster. Mm-hmm. Like there, it wasn't like she was like, oh, she's heaving her body into it now. She just, they just literally like cranked up the the two times speed on the cell animation. Um, uh, oh, and also by the way, the transition scene uh, there is none. Uh, Ro- uh, Roger gets called on his watch by Norman, and so Norman's like, there's a there's a giant mech loose in the west west dome five or dome number five or whatever what are you gonna do about it and that's when roger's like oh you know showtime or or whatever um which i I was like wait roger already has the big o lamau um but i like dorothy one uh i love a i love a mech with tentacle arms yes maybe one of my favorite mech designs for like in general like love tentacles on on mechs well it's great because like dorothy one has like big like claws uh it kind of looks like a um, uh design wise like like a praying mantis like has like the claws mm. has like the like kind of uh and big antennae um at the top uh also looks just like kind of like a uh ultraman um uh monster design in, in a way the thing it most re- Dorothy one most reminded me of was the noise from Simple Gear. Oh sure, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> it's just what I was thinking the entire time. Yeah, definitely. But the tendrils are cool because they come out of the claws. Um, so it just like you know the the claws have these big openings in them, and then just like the mechanical tendrils, like tentacles, like pop out and twirl around the big O. And then I don't think we see it till episode two, but then those tendrils can just turn into a giant drill. <laughs> so it's also mm-hmm. got giant drills that come out of the the claws. Um, 
very cool design. Also, the mechs in this show are huge. Um, I'm sure someone's made like a graphic of this, but I'm pretty sure if you put like the Granddaddy Gundam uh, next to it, it would like come up to the Big O's waist or something like that. Like the Big O is big, um, which I guess brings us to the Big O itself, which um, so the thing about the show is it's like, you know, it's a mecha show and it's like very much like um, a, you know, this is like a, a false dichotomy in a lot of ways, but like, you know, there's real robot shows and then there's, you know, super robot shows. This is way more, super robot in terms of design um yeah so like think like uh the getter or um uh tetsujin uh, 28 like that style robot um or like gunbuster is also a, a super robot in terms of design uh i love super robot designs uh and this is probably one of the best i think the big o is just genuinely one of the coolest like mecha in an anime ever yes and both on the ex outside and inside um like the the color scheming of it it feels like old and like like the like the statue of liberty come into life kind of thing mm -hmm. it almost feels a little steampunk i hate steampunk but it almost <laughs> feels like steampunk especially once totally. you see how they pilot it how like it's like a bunch of switches and pedals and to like swing the fist roger has to like literally like grab a lever and pull it back it's not like a psychic link he's like literally piloting it um and you know you also sh it also is like a little subtle hint about how uh accomplished or good he is at uh piloting it once you see the comparison between him and beck um because beck is like man this is hard to hard to pilot but then uh roger is just like cast in the name of god you not guilty pog yeah, I could definitely see the Seapunk thing. Like, definitely got, like, a riveted together kind of look. It it looks metal. Uh, or it looks like, like, not even, like, metal, like, iron. Like, that kind of, like, metal work. Mm -hmm. Not in, like, the Gundam way where it's, like, oh, the super, like, high-tech metal material. Uh, Gundanium. Um, uh, <laughs> I also just love, like... It's got like really exaggerated designs. Like the head is pretty small compared to the body. Like the forearms and um, like uh, um, uh, calves are really big, but then the thighs and the upper arms are real skinny. It's got like a real like narrow waist comparatively. Like it's just it's so like like in the way that like any robot is or big robot is where it's like humanoid, but also like kind of alienating in a way in in its dimensions. It's like kind of terrifying. Um, again, also just huge. Um, and then it's literally got like, again, to go with the steampunk thing, it's literally got like giant pistons that stick out of the back of its forearms to like allow Roger to just like super punch things. Um, just extremely cool. Um, yeah. Out, outside of his laser beams, like, which are sick as fuck. And I have, I have multiple all caps notes going like, fuck yeah, giant purple laser. But the, like the fact that. <laughs> And I love that he basically does, like, the anime super move call-out, but he just says, like, that's the end of the line, and he does his, like, super punch, which, again, it's not like, oh, he has this, like, nebulous arm cannon that charges up all this energy and shoots it out. It's literally like a piston comes back, he hits them, and the piston goes forward, and either just the force of that is enough to cause a big hole, or there might be, like, a directed energy, like a explosive charge or something like that um it, it's very much like yep this is just me punching a dude and you're like hell yeah this that's that's showtime yep i also appreciate like the uh we'll get into these in individual episodes but like the way the the fights are kind of staged like never feels like a um 
oh, he needs to figure out the super obvious weakness or like, um, I don't know. It just like none of the, none of the, the fights feel like uh, poorly booked in a way where it's just like, yeah, the big O is like a fucking big bad mech that can punch really hard. Like unless there's something outside of like uh, that's like interfering with him, like in the episode with the, the ghost mech where he has to like figure out where shots are coming from or like the, the giant eel episode spoilers. We'll get to it. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, Oh, Roger has like the most powerful deus ex or deus ex <laughs> mega deus in the show. Uh, it's, it doesn't take much for him to beat the shit out of Dorothy one in this episode. And I really like appreciate that, that it's not like, um, like a poorly staged, like wrestling match or something like that. It's just like, nope, he's, he just needs to get in the robot and then get to business and then, uh, you know, defeats the shit out of it. Um, then all the fight animation is, is sick. It just looks really good. Yeah. And then we get kind of like when you first kind of see the, the, big o come out like there's like the crowd be like yeah you know kick his ass or whatever um but then there's the military police which are kind of breezed over um uh dot major dotson coming to daston to like berate roger for like he's like oh you really fucked up the job or whatever ha 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 i'm i'm an asshole because he's a flaming asshole um the like he he also is like oh hell yeah you know kick his ass and then after the fight's over he's like all right now shoot that mega deus or whatever it's like man fuck you um but uh it's a very um which i guess that might be in the next episode but the uh we kind of get the framing of like the police's and by extension i guess paradigm corpse uh views on these mega deuces being out and about in that it's power that someone has that isn't under the control of the mega corp therefore it, it should be exterminated yeah um i like we'll, we'll talk about or we'll save talking about some of the mechanics for the next uh the second episode but uh i i like that the like big o just like comes out from underground and like destroys an entire <laughs> building like, like roger has no sense for collateral damage but i also love how the show doesn't really like dwell on it too much other than yeah there's a big hole there now whatever yeah like again like a false dichotomy but like this is like the super robot uh coming out versus like a real robot thing where this isn't a show about like the mega deus like causing collateral damage and like stepping on people as it's trancing through the city like it's not that kind of show yeah well, he's there's the super he's batman he's a superhero mm-hmm. don't look too far into it just have fun yeah and there's i'll there's fully already... admit i don't grant all the shows uh we watch for this the same leeway but the vibes are good so whatever exactly <laughs> i never said it was consistent or like objective mm-hmm. well the, like and there are like little shots like you know, in the like when he's driving back or something like that, or maybe it's in the next episode, I don't remember. But because uh, these two, the first two episodes are like a like the first one ends with like a to be continued. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, like by the time he goes home, there's like shots of them like putting the clock tower hands back on the clock. Um, so it's it's it the show itself is trying to be like, yep, there's, everything's being repaired. You know, don't worry about it. Move on, kind of thing. The the line in Batman v Superman where someone just says everyone's been evacuated so that they can have a, a guilty free uh, fight. So they don't get a citizen's ding on the wow. They probably killed a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think the only other thing I have to say about this one is. Uh you know we get our first next time on at the end and i love the next time ons where it's like old-timey telephone rings and then like someone off screen picks it up and then it's just like someone it like it 
the affect of it is like someone speaking in like code, but whoever it is just says the name of the episode, just goes like Electric City or <laughs> Dorothy, mm. Dorothy. And it's just like uh, David Lynch on the other line there saying the name of the episode in, in hushed tones. Mm. Uh, but I think it's just, I think it's really cool. Um, I love a good framing for a, a next time on. Man, you're you're gonna love uh, uh, the end of Metal Gear Solid games. Then, oh my god, <laughs> uh, there are f- phone calls aplenty there. Wow. Uh, also, kind of leans in on the Batman thing, thinking specifically of Batman sixty six uh, and and that style of Batman uh, story, mm. where like he's got a direct line to the police commissioner, um, though it's not a Baker like telephone at the at the end of uh the big o uh it's just like an old timey like i don't know how you would describe those like metal like telephone uh, like a rotary rotary yeah, phone, yeah. Um, um for the kids nowadays it's the the powerpuff girls uh yes phone call to the the mayor with the <laughs> blinking red nose um and the, uh, one last like batman note is that like i think it's so cool that like you know him being batman is that no one knows who pilots the big o it's not like uh you know like they, if they wanted to do a literal batman they could have been like oh and he he dons a, a suit and then he gets in the big o it's like no it's just like no one ever sees him get in the big o so no one knows like who, who's piloting the the big o um like i think it's cool the idea of the mech is the superhero suit um that works mm-hmm. like as really cool uh like narrative conceit for me and i i love that they don't try to fuss around with like oh but but who is the man is is he the the mask or is he the robot no he, he doesn't want the police to hassle him so he he doesn't tell them like yeah. there's no kind of like fuss around the 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 rationale of the psychology of roger it's like nah he's just a private guy it's also like we'll see in other episodes like a convenience for him to kind of like be able to do things as the big o that like he doesn't have to like face responsibility for as roger the negotiator um mm. which is also cool um but i think that leads us into episode two pretty well though um i went above and beyond with the voice actor notes um because I knew uh, I had a f- I had a feeling we were all gonna watch the dub, and and I watched the dub, and I knew Danny, you were planning on watching the dub, so I was like, let me take notes for both the Japanese voice actors and the dub voice actors. Um, I tried to like be a little bit more brief for each of these one because some of these these uh, uh, actors don't have as many credits, but also just like the uh, doubling up the number of voice actors that I would normally talk about. Um, so Roger Smith in Japanese is voiced by uh, Mitsuru Miyamoto. Not a lot of interesting credits for him. Um, he is a Stephen A. Starface in Kekai Sensen. He is Ogai Mori in Bungo Stray Dogs. Uh, Hub Lebowski in Wolf's Reign. Um, and he is Mizuho Daita in Ghost in the Shell. That's the guy that gets, uh, like his head exploded at the beginning of the movie by the major. Um, oh, okay. Yep. And then in the dub, he's voiced by Steve, uh, Blum or Bloom, as we've we said, um, who is Spike in Cowboy Bebop, uh, Char in the Mobile Suit Gundam movie trilogy, uh, Orochimaru in Zabuza and Naruto. He is Vincent in Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Um, I didn't know this one. He is uh, Gilmon and Yamaki in uh, Digimon Tamers. I was like, wait, hmm. so in Japanese, Gilmon is voiced by. Um, uh, Goku, <laughs> and then in English is voiced by Spike Spiegel. Uh, very different vibes there. Um, and then, of course, uh, under the Kotatsu favorite, or at least Austin personal favorite, he is Alex Cunningham in IGPX, um, <laughs> one half of the greatest ship pairing of all time. Uh, and then um, 
Uh, Big Ear is uh, voiced by uh, Shinpachi Suji in Japanese. Uh, he is uh, Pakun uh, in Naruto. That's like the little dog that follows around um, Rock Lee. Uh, and Donyell Toss in Gundam Reconquista in G. Um, and then in the dub is voiced by Jameson Price, who is writer in Fate Zero. Uh, he is the Count of Monte Cristo in uh, Gakuzo, uh the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> um, he is Chad in Bleach. He is Mr. Satan in Dragon Ball Super, specifically. Uh, he is uh, Fukuzawa in Bunko Stray Dogs. Uh, he is uh, Tenosuke Tokoro, a.k.a. Jelly Jiggler in Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo. Um, and he is Gordon in Cowboy Bebop. Does anybody remember who Gordon was in Cowboy Bebop? No. I had to look this up. Was so, that? Uh, <laughs> uh, that is the... Uh, was it uh, uh-huh. Jet's old cop friend? No, that's like, like a good guess. The name sounds like it could have been that. Um, Gordon is the casino owner uh, in that episode about the Fallout New Vegas chip. <laughs> If you remember that, um, I, I don't. <laughs> I remember well, there being a casino. Yeah. Yes, there there's go. a there's a casino and there's an owner and that's the one where they're trying to get the chip that has like all the casino data on it or whatever the fuck. Um, mm. uh, also, good to mention that there there's an interesting through line with a lot of these voice actors, both the Japanese and and English ones, and and one of those through lines is a uh, Cowboy Bebop uh, occurring a lot. Um, <laughs> which makes sense given the proximity of these two shows. Well, that brings us to episode two, which is called Dorothy, Dorothy. Um, Dorothy, distraught from having seen Dorothy 1 destroyed, suddenly disappears after the Big O returns to its underground base. Roger ponders what Dorothy's connection with the giant Megadeus is. Uh, at night, Dorothy is seen with Timothy Wainwright I, uh, introduced as her grandfather at a club. Uh, Roger quickly deduces that Wainwright is Dorothy's true quote-unquote father, uh, who built her using his memories. Jason Beck, uh, appearing a second time, shoots Wainwright after taking him hostage and stuns Dorothy, uh, after she tries to escape. Dorothy 1, revealed to be piloted by Beck, runs amok in the city once more. However, when Roger tries to finish off Beck, he sees Dorothy attached to Dorothy 1, being used as a power regulator circuit. Uh, Roger, hesitant to fight back, climbs out of the big O and pulls Dorothy out, making Dorothy 1 useless and leading Beck to his arrest. Uh, Following the aftermath of Wainwright's death, Dorothy resides uh, with Roger as his maid. Um, What do they call Robin in, like, Batman 66? It's like... uh, His ward. His ward, ward, yeah. (laughs) Dorothy becomes Roger's ward. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know. This just kind of picks up the plot from the last one. Um, it all kind of makes sense. I mean, like we, we caught like a glimpse of, uh, Timothy Wainwright in the first episode. And so she like appears back with him. It's like, ah, what's going on here? And we learn like, oh, this is like a guy who's old enough to have been alive before everybody's memories were wiped and somehow has regained enough of his memories to build an Android version of his daughter. And it's like, wow, that's weird. Uh, and then he gets got before, (laughs) anybody Mm -hmm. can ask him like hey what's up with that (laughs) um and then we get another sick fight uh the best part of which is i'm always a sucker for whenever people like open up their like uh cockpits in their mech like mid fight especially when people like get out of them so like uh like the big o mid like tussle with dorothy one having like roger like jump out and hop onto dorothy one and rip dorothy off like the head that she's attached to um and she she's not like on like a crucifix but she's like in that pose right like she's t-posed up there um was she t-posed or was she just like mummified i don't I, remember i can't remember then i i 
I have the uh, Blu-ray for this, which actually looks pretty great. Uh, I was surprised that the official U.S. Blu-ray looks pretty good. Um, apparently, the Japanese Blu-ray has some weird interlacing issues, um, but the U.S. Blu-ray looks great. Uh, so I didn't take any screenshots. <laughs> is the the moral of that story? Um, <laughs> so I, don't ha- I don't have I don't have those to look back at, or because I definitely would have taken screenshots of of that. Um, but yeah, she's kind of like done up there it just made me think of like ultraman you know ultraman a show that loves to just like crucify um people uh not as like a christian illusion but just like damn isn't that a sick thing to do to someone <laughs> um, which wow you're so right super super right <laughs> there is a lot of um kind of christian iconography especially as you go on in this and yeah it doesn't necessarily feel like a specific illusion but it does it does kind of like how after like a big cataclysm like this, people kind of tend to like they like the cultural shift towards like a supreme being that has like wiped everyone's memories. Like it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like Roger makes a few illusions here and there of like, yeah, I'm not an atheist. I just like, you know, like he prays over uh, Saldano's body in the first episode. Like so there's a little bit of a little bit of Jesus going on in here. Um, but it also feels kind of detached in a way, um, where I just don't know if it's just like a lack of, uh, you know, personal connection to Christianity on the, in terms of the writer, or if it's like a deliberate choice where it's just like, yeah, let's just have the aesthetic. Let's have the tree of life again, uh, <laughs> because it's just always there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I do love like, a uh, that sort of, you know what, fi- like, like, you know, we just, we just got done talking about how, the big O just punches real hard. Um, so I like that they show like, Hey, the big O can do other stuff too. Uh, and, and he can, it, it's like, there is some stuff going on with Dorothy. We get it in the first episode where like, she's like connected to Dorothy one. Um, but then we also later gets, and at first it's like, Oh, she's just connected to another mech or like, like another Dorothy. But then later she starts going like, lem, 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 lem to another robot, a mega, mega deuce. So mm-hmm. there is something going on there. Um, but but we don't get her like agonizing over her identity, I guess. Like Roger the whole time is like, you're an android, you're not real, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Dorothy doesn't seem to give a shit. Um, we get a little bit where like when Roger is pulling her out of the the thing, that out of the, 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 the wires and shit, he's like, just think, like, be yourself kind of thing. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, fuck it, I am. And and kind of moves on past that, I, like, any sort of doubt, I guess, um, which I really like. They don't kind of linger on it too. It's not all about her agonizing over what she is. Maybe it'll come up later. I don't know. Um, but it's not like she's comatose as she struggles with the, the reality of her being or anything like that. Um, so uh, glad that worked out. Because um, honestly, I thought when uh, she was with... Uh, timothy wainwright the first um i was like oh is that her like is that not android dorothy is that like person dorothy and like Mm -hmm. that's where it's all coming from uh but but no it is android dorothy and she's just giving wainwright a a good night out by singing for him and and which unfortunately we don't get to hear um (laughs) which i i thought of uh blade runner when uh What's his face is talking at the doing the voiceover at the end. Roger's doing the voiceover where he's like, maybe in that moment, he's <laughs> happier than ever to finally see his granddaughter sing on stage. Cold. Fi- maybe in that moment, he he learned what it was like to to love more than anything. 
or whatever the fuck. Cold yeah. fish. It's my ex-wife called me. God. You think the theatrical cut of uh, Blade Runner is funny until someone says uh, the N-word in <laughs> in monologue. Um, do they uh, do that? Yeah, remember we... Uh, uh, as a group we tried to watch that and then uh like that version of blade runner where it's got harrison ford's voiceover and then we got to the part where they're like he's like talking about his like police chief guy and he's like he like leans into like oh yeah and he's a racist and a bigot and then just drops the n-word it's like oh okay maybe we watch something else instead (laughs) Uh, oh dear but um yeah i uh also love that um yeah the end of the fight in the first episode the result is like the big o punches a big hole in dorothy one and then when Dorothy one shows back up, it's still got the hole in it, uh, like it's a hollow in bleach or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then this is when we get get to see the big drill. My note is just big drill with a bunch of exclamation points. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah! I'm, I'm a child. Um, I also love that like Maybe drills on mechs are always cool. It's why Gurren Lagann works so well. That's true. Um, and uh, uh, I love that. Um, yeah, not really in the the plot description, but like Beck is piloting dorothy one but remotely he's like he's like mm-hmm. strapped into like a johnny mnemonic vr setup uh piloting the robot um and so i love the payoff of like um he's like ah oh, fuck he's disconnected dorothy you know we've got to get out of here and like as he's being disconnected and they open up the doors to the back of the truck he's in you see like the big o's face like big up against mm-hmm. it just like filling the frame um it's very good um uh, love this is the beck as a as a goofy little villain yeah because as he's piloting he's like oh this is hard to pilot and he's like like really like struggling to move it he just, he's so animated and goofy in that uh regard and also like he's like constantly like fucking with his hair like even when he like knocks out the knocks uh roger and dorothy out he's still like you know he's futzing with himself and all that um which i i love that scene where like everyone like roger gets knocked out and all that it's like roger is clearly capable and smart but he's not infallible like people will get the upper hand on him and he'll lose but then like just through tenacity he's gonna win like which is fine like that's like a jackie chan sort of thing like jackie chan movies i love because he's like the underdog and then he punches a guy through a mall window or whatever and he, he falls 18 stories or something like that um and then at the very end of this episode it really feels like a scooby-doo episode because it's like the the cops literally pull up to beck and his his goons kind of like wrapped up in their own wires and they're like oh so it was mr beck who did it uh-huh. and mr beck's like oh man my robot or whatever it's yeah. so goofy <laughs> um yeah totally very very scooby-doo-esque um you mentioned him like back like playing with his hair at one point in this episode i think it's earlier on when he's like like got timothy wainwright at gunpoint or whatever he's like he like whips out a comb from his pocket and starts like combing his hair and i'm like of course beck is the kind of guy to just like always have a comb on him reminded me of um <laughs> george clooney in um oh brother where art thou just like constantly <laughs> combing like grease into his hair um mr beck or is a dapper dan yeah yes <laughs> he's a dapper, a dapper, he's a dapper dan, dan man guy. <laughs> um that was very funny to me and then i don't remember which episode i probably have it in my notes but like in a later episode roger does the same thing where he also pulls out a comb <laughs> from a pocket somewhere and i'm like oh okay of course roger is also like a, a dapper <laughs> at Dan least, guy. at least when he's doing it it's i think it's when he's going to the old lady and he's like try basically trying to make himself look presentable to a client so like okay you get a pass roger you're not about to knock someone out and, and shoot an old man <laughs> um 
and then yeah we get the end of this episode where like you know like dorothy's like i'm gonna stay here now <laughs> and roger just goes uh okay um we get to see roger in his morning robe which is is a good look i also love that like you know in these two episodes up to this point we've only seen him with like the combed slick back hair uh but at the boarding we see his, his hair's like all disheveled um he's like not really uh it's got like bedhead. I was just like, this is a good look for Roger. I like that we get to see him like this in addition to like, you know, all dressed up nice in his fancy uh, suit and all that. Um, and then, Danny, did you write down the the next rule that, that Roger gives to, yes. to Dorothy? Everyone must wear black. And that's a rule that even Roger himself follows. Uh, do you remember what Dorothy responds with? Oh, it's something like, you fucking weirdo. Or <laughs> she's, that's basically what she's like. Your your taste in fashion reeks. Ah, yes. Um, again, her deadpan like response to everything is great because like you mentioned like oh this isn't a show about like her like having a crisis of like am I really a person or whatever. But the cool thing about that is it's it's not like she's not like treated like a Star Wars droid where everybody just ignores her humanity. Um, like she's like like a like she is a person right like she acts like mm-hmm. a person she has like thoughts and feelings and like has connections to the world in a way that like a person does it's just like different than like roger and everybody else because you know she like is born out of different circumstances but it's not like oh i'm a robot and therefore can't feel anything and have nothing to add to the world and they're not doing like a mr spock like oh everything you do is illogical uh, roger like no she's like um she like she's deadpan but she has a sense of humor like and she recognizes that like that is her sense of humor is being deadpan with roger um i don't know i really like dorothy uh, as a character yeah i was like half expecting the show to be like a lot more um about like oh like the humanity of the androids blah 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 worse ghost in the shell but i'm glad it didn't go there <laughs> yeah if anything it's more about roger coming to terms with like that sensation like or that idea um like dorothy says basically like very outright like my my father well for one at one point roger's like i wonder what what would a android call its creator like a father or whatever and and she doesn't really address that um but she says like um you know my father never really knew like never really understood how i think or how i feel and roger's like what do you mean you feel so like he's kind of taken aback by it but Thor- dorothy does not go like you're right what does it mean that i feel like yeah and also but also roger is not dismissive of it he just is like surprised by it he's like oh i've never met an android who who feels kind of taken kind of you know flipped once we get to instro but whatever Mm -hmm. i guess it's different in that um instro is by no means attempting to look like a human i guess uh whereas dorothy apparently is a close enough replica that he tricks she tricks Roger when he's uh, uh, wearing sunglasses in a dark warehouse or whatever. And then, um, oh, uh, forgot to say it about the, I mean, we kind of talked about it last time, but I love that the big O, whenever the big O just like fucks off underground <laughs> at the end of a fight. It's like, well, see ya. Um, and my job's and done. I think this is, yeah, this is where we learn in this episode that like the big O is like constantly underground in like a, like a special like rail car uh, that houses it that also can shuttle it back to Roger's mansion um 
and that way that's like how it like can pop out anywhere underground because like underneath paradigm city there's like all this like forgotten like pre-amnesia like rail tracks and like all sorts of stuff hidden under there it's a very cool thing of like oh the you know the secrets of the past are, are buried right underneath us um and so roger takes advantage of that to like shuttle the big o around uh these like rail lines that are all under the city um and we get some cool little moments in some of these later episodes about like how that like gets deployed um but i love it i love that just like oh yeah the big o is just like ready to like break the ground (laughs) um uh above it like at any time whenever roger needs it and then it just fucks back off underground whenever he's done with (laughs) it um and then yeah the the so the what do y'all make of the like the way some of these episodes end where it goes like uh we have come to terms kind of like playing off the he's a negotiator thing so he's like settled his agreement in this one i guess which is taking dorothy under his wing well i love that in some episodes it says like no sides made or something like that or like you know because it's an ep- like if an episode ends on two people disagreeing about something yeah it says no side yeah no side yeah i think it's i think it's kind of kind of cute a fun way to yeah especially because it is like a very episodic show so just to be like and that's all folks we wrap that one up or like no sides like wow that was a tough one to crack and we couldn't do it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah y'all got anything else about episode two nope Alrighty. uh well more voice actors then um so our dorothy rainwright is voiced by uh akiko uh yajima she is uh pino in ergo proxy uh sasori in naruto shippuden uh she is uh shinchan in crayon shinchan so that is what what she is busy with most of the time i imagine <laughs> being in 80 million movies and long-running tv show um uh she is also uh relina peacecraft in gundam wing uh one of the more ridiculous characters in that show um and she is mipple in futariwa precure um is fun uh and then the dub is voiced by uh leah Sargent. she is the voice of the tachikoma in uh, ghost in the shell standalone complex second gig she is millie in uh trigun uh the original anime uh millie not in trigun stampede uh, unfortunately uh, at least not so far uh she is chun lee in street fighter 2 the movie uh she is lala soon in the dub for the gundam movie trilogy um, and she is Judy in Cowboy Bebop. This is your second Cowboy Bebop quiz. Do y'all remember who Judy is? Is it is it one of the people on the TV show? Yes. Do you remember the oh name of the TV show? Bounty Watch. <laughs> no. Uh, Big Shot is what it's called. She's She's the cowboy lady from Big Shot. So arguably one of the best characters <laughs> in Cowboy Bebop. Re- reverse quiz. Uh-huh. Does she end up dating her co-host, or does she end up dating someone, or like marrying someone else? I have no idea. <laughs> do, I don't do remember you? either. Okay. I think like in the one of the later episodes, we see one of the hosts being like, "Yep, yeah, lost my job, going back home." Yeah, I remember that. I feel like the he t- he says like there's a throwaway throwaway line where he's like, "Yeah, I thought we had something going, but she started dating the producer or something like that, or she mm, she got maybe. engaged to the producer." Maybe. Uh, dear listener, write in to let us know. Uh, the cowboy, go, go listen to our cowboy bebop episode. Um, and then uh, Norman Berg, the Alfred Butler character, is voiced by uh, in Japanese, uh, Matomu uh, Ki- Kiyokawa. Um, 
only a couple of roles for him, but boy, are they some roles. Um, he is a uh, Fiutsky in uh, all of the Evangelion stuff. Um, he is uh, Dr. Uh, Mikamura in G Gundam, ridiculous character. And then he is um, Tem Ray, Amuro Ray's dad in Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, which mm. made me immediately go, oh, uh, uh, what's his face? Anno definitely was like, "Oh, who's gonna voice this character I've I've come up with in Evangelion? I'm gonna get the guy that voiced uh, Tem Ray, <laughs> because that seems like a, a Hideki Anno uh, thing to have done." Mm-hmm. And then Norman Berg in the dub is voiced by Milton James, notably for the f- only for the first thirteen episodes uh, in season two. It is a different voice actor. I don't know if something happened to the voice actor or just like was unavailable, um, but I guess I'll cover. The guy who voices him in season two when we get to it. Season one, he's voiced by Milton James, who is uh, Jodo in Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro, specifically the manga entertainment dub, uh, since there are two dubs of Cagliostro. More on that later with some of these other voice actors. And then uh, he is uh, Aguil Delas in uh, Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory. Um, character I don't remember much about, but he is kind of like a major character in that, I think. Um, yeah, that's that's it for him. So that brings us to episode three, which is called Electric City. Uh, imagine I just picked up a telephone and said, Electric City. Um, there have been power outages occurring recently within Paradigm City. Casey Jenkins, a representative of the city's power management, hires Roger to go to the Electric City uh, and negotiate with the locals for the reactivation of the hydroelectric power plant. Uh, the reason for their hindrance uh, is because uh, of their belief that a god who lives in the lake will arise and harm the city. Uh, if they turn, the, if they leave the power on, uh, while sneaking out at night, Roger finds himself in the cabin of an old man who despises those who work for the city. Uh, though the old man grows to appreciate his kind services, uh, Roger later finds a secret basement under the cabin, finding out that the old man is a retired researcher. Uh, the turbines of the dam mysteriously turn on, and Roger finds out that Casey, uh, who now refers to herself as Angel, is the one responsible. As the underground pipes uh, overflow, a creature known as the eel appears from the lake, absorbing the electricity from the dam. Uh, Angel tries to escape by car, but the creature causes it to stall. Roger, summoning the big O, goes into battle against the eel, but is outmatched by the creature. The old man manages to shut down the dam, and Roger is then able to fire a blast straight through the eel. Uh, Roger later destroys the power plant to prevent any uh, future reactivation. Uh, while keeping in mind that the old man was the one who created the eel. Um, this episode is so sick. <laughs> I Hell I yeah. loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it needs no explanation why. There's a giant eel and he fights it with his big fuck off robot. <laughs> it's good. What more do you want? A giant eel with electric powers. Yes. <laughs> and uh, in an AT field, like in its mouth, it has a big old fucking AT field. He tries to punch it basically down yeah. the throat and his fist gets stopped. And so he's like, oh, fuck. Fuck. And then he just uses giant laser. Reminded me a lot of whatever Angel and Evangelion uh, with the episode where, uh, God, the Shinji Sue friends get into the mech with mm-hmm. him. Yeah, we're like Samuel. Is that one Samuel? I, I only know one of the know. one of the names. <laughs> it's because it's Ramiel. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, the one that matters. This episode does, um, I think, a better job of showing that Roger will just um do whatever he wants when he's like being the negotiator he'll be like okay yeah it seems like the contract i took was a pretty fucking raw deal for the people living here yep (laughs) so i'll 
do what I think's right. Yeah, he he only deals with honest clients. He only makes on fair deals, kind of thing. Um, so especially once Angel shows up, he's like, "Wait a minute! Like, I only dealt with honest people. What the fuck?" And the the contract. He also doesn't necessarily have to make a contract, so to speak, like a formal one. Like him talking to the old man. He's like, "Well." I kind of have an obligation to the old man, so I'm going to help him out now. Yeah, and like I was saying before, like this is like him utilizing the fact that, you know, he's he's got the big O and people don't know he's the one piloting the big O because he just destroys the like solves the problem effectively by just destroying the power uh plant at the end of the episode. Um and then as Roger Smith can just kind of like shake his head and go like, "Wow, sucks that <laughs> that that happened. Guess I couldn't negotiate this one." Um, <laughs> I wonder who did that. Um, uh, but yeah, I like that. Um, there's another episode we'll get into where this stuff comes up as well. But like, I like that labor is like a kind of background concern uh, in this world, where like Roger is basically being asked to like solve a labor dispute. Um, granted, it's like framed around like uh, a bunch of laborers um, being like, uh, "Yeah, we're not going to run the power plant because um, a giant monster comes out and attacks us when we do," uh, which fair. <laughs> Um, but it is just like, you know, like the company that runs this city being like, hey, go down there and do whatever you need to do to get them to start that power plant again. Um, very much like a Michael Clayton fixer kind of like, you know, do whatever dirty work you need to like you doing it gets it off our hands kind of thing. Um but then also you've got Angel, who's like also kind of playing that role of like it, it never gets really like said, but it's almost like she hires Roger to to do this thing so that she has like a cover for just going there herself and restarting the power plant anyway. Um, that way, like he can take the blame for it while she, she covertly does that. Like, I, I don't know, like the, the writing in this episode, I think is really cool on top of it, just being like a great, like Kaiju monster fight episode um, reminded me of um, there's an episode of the original Pat labor OVA series where they're kind of like dispatched to like uh, fight a, a sea monster. And they're all like, Oh, ridiculous. A sea monster that couldn't be real. And then it turns out to be real. Um, Granted, that, that one's much more ridiculous than this is. It has like a comedic tone to it at parts, but it definitely reminded that in terms of like, you know, love it when a giant monster gets to fight a giant robot. It's good. Which the eel was grown in like the, the old man's like, Mm -hmm. basement and then i guess accidentally got out or did he purposely release it i don't i didn't t i couldn't tell i don't know if they say but it almost like the implication seems to be that like it grew too big for its tank um mm -hmm. and either either yeah, like, like broken yeah like broke itself out or like the the scientists had to like relocate it or whatever but yeah that's also just like i think like a cool like kind of development of like oh this kindly old man and then like oh this secret uh science facility under his cabin um like I, I like that um which i love um when he like meets roger roger's like he puts his hands up and he's like look i'm not the kind to carry a gun but i also don't want to get shot in the back and then he gets hit over the head kind of thing mm -hmm. again kind of you get that little tidbit of like roger's not one for shooting his way out of a problem if he can help it you know he does blow the fuck out of the car in the first episode with the with the rockets yeah. Um, but he's, he's not one for, for shooting people if he can help it. And, um, but then also, even though he, he gets hit in the head, uh, which I love the, I love the thing, like the old man's like struggling with the water buckets in the morning. And so Roger helps them out, even though he's supposed to be tied to the chair, you know, he, he lets himself loose and, and helps the man, uh, 
uh, carry the water buckets and then make some uh, scrambled eggs. And I was like, damn, could c- wish I was him. Wish I was the old man to have Roger make me old uh, eggs and bacon in the morning. Um, also kind of like a, a carry on from the beginning of the episode where like uh, Norman makes uh, Roger and Dorothy eggs. And then that's like when the power goes out. Um, I don't remember if like maybe I was just imagining that, that he totally should say it or if he did say it uh but like you know you almost get like the sense of like roger making the eggs it's like ah well norman could do it better but <laughs> you know i like I've, <laughs> I've watched him do it for years how hard could it be um right so which i love the beginning of this episode um interesting that like this this turns into like an entire episode later on but like um we get this fun little interaction between him and dorothy of like dorothy waking him up by playing the piano very loudly um and Roger just being irritated, it's like, I'm trying to sleep in. She's like, well, it's already noon. Like, you should have been up, like, 15 minutes ago. Is merely <laughs> providing you the necessary uh, distraction to get out of bed. Um, and I just love Rod- Roger being, like, a, a pouty little bitch. Um, like, I like that as much as, like, he's that Raymond Chandler-style character of, like, knows what's fair is fair and, like, you know, um, like, tries to, like, act moral in a world where not everyone else shares his morals or whatever. But also he's just, like a bit of a sleaze and a bit of a pouty bitch and um it's just like uh like on his bullshit uh sometimes mm-hmm. well and um i also love that uh like roger tries to like be like oh you're not human your music's not real like you're just imitating us or whatever and dorothy is just like like because he's basically saying your music is shit and <laughs> she's just like no one wants to hear an alarm bell like of course you're gonna say that no one no one wants to hear what's waking them up kind of thing Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I love that. And that and their lovely, lovely long table. Like yeah. They're arguing, and then it cuts to the wide shot. It's just like fucking huge ass table, and they're, they're opposite sides of it. Um, but uh, oh, speaking of music, this is also the first episode with an OP where oh yes, we have different ones because we watch different versions. Well, it's funny. I because I did decide to just watch the Blu-ray, have the same version you do, um, which oh, okay. uh, is not my my preferred version. But so some explanation the uh, original um broadcast version of this uh show the first op is a song called just called big o it's like a send-up of like queen um is like the inspiration it just sounds like a like a queen song um i feel like there's some like kind of like hearsay about like the reason they replaced it is because they were worried about it um like getting sued um it also i guess like uh, resembles the theme for uh, the Flash Gordon film. Um, so maybe that's also what they were worried about legal action over. But basically when the show was rebroadcast um, in the 2000s and uh, for subsequent home media releases uh, since then, they've used a different OP that they made for those rebroadcast versions uh, called Big O Show Must Go On, which is good, but I really like the... Uh, uh, the original Big O theme. It, it whenever I think the words Big O because they just like sing Big O like over and over again <laughs> in that uh, OP. It just gets stuck in my head. Um, it's like an earworm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it fucking rules. Yeah. <laughs> it's stuck in my head like since I started watching. I was like comparing it in my head to another show, which the opening is mostly just repeating the name of the show, uh, the Panion Stocking opening. And this one blows that one out of the fucking water. Yes. <laughs> definitely and um it's also it's yeah so like the animation's different for it's not just the songs that are different um and the animation in the original um has like silhouettes of the characters and like you my favorite is the silhouette of like the like rail car carrier for the big o just like sliding across the screen um Mm. but the background is like this trippy like 
orange and red kind of kaleidoscope colors, which is a reference to um, like Ultraman and Ultra Q. Like that's how the original uh, Ultra Q and Ultraman um, uh, openings have this like trippy psychedelic color scheme to them. Um, but the re- the rebroadcast version is still pretty good. I do I do like it. It's also like got very specific um, like inspirations. It's like '60s hard rock style. It it straight up sounds like a Kinks song. Um, like the guitar line in it. So it's almost funny that it's like, well, if they did replace it because they were worried about getting sued, they didn't do a good job of like <laughs> creating something <laughs> extremely distinct. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, ha- have to have to mention that because uh, I-, I do love uh, the original OP. Sad that they replaced it, but it is what it is. I also got Scooby-Doo vibes from the opening because it basically goes through like the character roster with like a little vignette of like some scene from the show with them in it like oh here's norman and uh dorothy's riding in the sidecar or whatever and yeah. for some reason that plus like the the rock it was like oh this is just like like original scooby-doo where they kind of have like little scenes of them doing stuff maybe i'll just in a scooby-doo frame of mind from the last episode <laughs> um i do like that like yeah the animation is different for the the redone op and so you get like shots from the show and one of them which we've not gotten to yet but i'm excited <laughs> to to remember what the context is for it is like norman firing a giant like gatling gun <laughs> like, yeah I love, like that this is what the show has over uh batman is not just the uh, giant robot but also alfred never gets to fire a minigun <laughs> in batman the animated series as far as i remember um you must have you have to watch uh Pennyworth, the origin of oh, yeah. Batman's butler, which, spoiler, <laughs> apparently ends with like a nuke going off or something. We'll I just saw know. that on Twitter. Yep. Yeah, we'll never know. Um, me saying that out loud reminded me that that show existed. I don't know why. It's like a mm-hmm. beam from God reminded me. But um, uh, how do we feel about Angel's outfit when she's in the tunnels, by the way? You mean her like cat's eye uh, uh jewel thief outfit the, i i kind of yeah, love it like pink jumpsuit yeah i no, do it's, love it's the femme fatale like <laughs> i know the entire like trope has a lot of like quote unquote problematic stuff but i kind of love it just letting women be hot and threatening <laughs> and also yeah, like she's you like, know we don't really realize it till the next episode but she's just like constantly giving fake names um <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i love that her just like pretending to be all these different kinds of people Though she does have the through line of being like, like in the next episode, she's like, I told you, call me, call me Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, I must have said Michael, like Michael Clayton, uh, Roger <laughs> says, uh, well, a fallen angel. And I'm like, oh, got her. Yeah. <laughs> Take her like to task, there. Roger. Yeah. It also definitely reminded me of like, this is just cause it's fresh on my mind. Um, from the other podcast be a dandy do now but um uh him seeing her in the uh like the underground in her like skin tight outfit and be like wait a minute i'm just like oh i i know those curves i've seen them before <laughs> yeah, you have a peculiar way of walking yeah exactly <laughs> um i so i love that once she causes the problem she does not have the moral quandary that a lot of like faux femme fatales have where it's like oh she's a femme fatale but she has a heart of gold, and you know she's gonna do the right thing in the end. She is very much like, all right, well, I've done my job. See ya. And if it weren't for the big O, would have just been like, well, it's the town's problem now, not mine. Uh, but then her her Tesla gets electrocuted, and she can't open the door for a bit. And I was like, oh my god, Elon has another <laughs> victim. Elon's definitely like a uh, like a really 
sad sack like big o villain like (laughs) if he gives off any (laughs) vibes that's it just like a one-off villain in an episode of big o Um, but But like um, a really pathetic one like like mr beck but without any of the charm yeah um and then uh like the end of this episode where we're back at uh rogers mansion and and dorothy's playing the blues uh on the piano um Mm. Again, Dorothy, extremely good. Like, not, doesn't really do much in the plot in this episode, but I like her just like being around and also kind of being an annoyance to to Roger. Um, she's good. Oh, I love her little headband flashlight when the power mm-hmm. goes out. She's like, "Now you can eat, Roger." And he's like, "Fuck you! I hate you so much." <laughs> yeah, it's literally like Dorothy's like, "All right, you're my dad now. This is not your decision to yeah. make." Yeah, that's the best thing about it too. Is like it'd be extremely weird if it was like Roger being like, "Oh, little lady, you have nowhere to go. I'm gonna take you into my wing." And it's it's her that's like, uh, "I'm your ward now. Have you seen Batman? I- I'm your Robin." <laughs> He's just like, ah, fuck, I guess I have a Robin now. Which I love when it comes up later where they're talking about, like, paying fees and everything. Because that's kind of the framing of, like, why she's living there also. It's like, well, I didn't have any way of paying off the negotiator's fee or whatever. Um, And then later she's like, uh, when they're, when she's learning how to play piano, uh, it's like, Roger's like, well, you're, you're, you're gonna have to pay me for this, you know? And and she's like, the payment is me learning how to play the piano. (laughs) I love that. Um. The only other thing I have about this episode is, um, again, I talked about how great the, like, big O traveling underground is, and I almost, like, you know, called it midway through the episode, was just, like, thinking, like, well, whenever he needs to get into the big O, like, he's, like, miles away from, like, where he normally is, like, uh, I wonder if there's gonna be, like, ah, I need to get in the big O, but, uh, it's going to take time for it to get here. But no, we get like, he calls like Norman up to like launch the big O and Norman's like, ah, yes, sir. As I, as you instructed last night, I've shipped it over. <laughs> it's just like, oh, good, good thinking. <laughs> um, I love that. Um, but yeah. Uh, anything else about uh, uh, episode three? Nope. Alrighty. Uh, well, Angel uh, is voiced, voiced, uh, voiced by Emmy uh, Shinohara. I was like, I thought we'd done her before, but um, I guess not. Um, though she she is in a show we've watched before, just not one that I was doing voice actor notes for at the time. Um, she is um, Makoto Kino, uh, a.k.a. Sailor Jupiter in Sailor Moon. She is uh, Kushina Usamaki, a.k.a. Naruto's mom in Naruto. Uh, she is Biko in Project Aiko. She is uh, Prezea in Magic Knight Ray Earth. Uh, she is Michiru Satomi in IGPX. Uh, that's the team Satomi owner. Um, she mm. is Coco Queen in Delicious Party Precure. Um, and she is Maria Pia Armonia, a.k.a. the Queen of Zanskar in Victory Gundam. Uh, shout outs to her, literal queen. Um, and then uh, the dub is voiced by Wendy Lee, uh, which we'll all know uh, <laughs> uh if not immediately, you'll get you'll get it in a second. Uh, she's Haruhi in um, all the Haruhi Suzumiya stuff. Uh, she's apparently this was funny to me. She's uh, Konata in the Lucky Star dub, um, which is funny. She's Ren in Blue Exorcist. She's uh, Ray, the main character in uh, March Comes in Like a Lion, uh, the big one. She is Faye Valentine in Cowboy Bebop. Um, she apparently voices uh, Conan Edagawa in Detective Conan. Uh, in the handful of movies and specials that have actually been dubbed, not the weird to be dubbed that dropped this week. Um, if people saw that going around on Twitter, very strange that to be just like dubbed a dozen random episodes of Detective Conan with a very like uh, inexperienced 
bad <laughs> dub cast. Um, but Wendy Lee, not part of that. Um, she's also uh, Yurichi and uh, Tatsuki in Bleach. Uh, she's Lisa Lisa in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, she's uh, Takeru in Digimon Adventure. Uh, Umi in Magic Knight Ray Earth. Uh, Sola in IGPX. Uh, that's the dog that races with Team Edge Raid. Um, and then this one's for for me and all the real ones out there. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, she is uh, Genki Maru in SD Gundam Force. Uh, most underrated Gundam show of all time. Um, and then uh, that brings us to episode four, which is called Underground Terror. Um, journalist named Michael Seabach, uh, great name, uh, has gone missing for three months and has uh, taken his latest manuscript with him. Angel, now working as a secretary at the city's press as Patricia Lovejoy, uh, hires Roger to retrieve the manuscript and give Seabach his severance pay. In his search for Seabach, Roger discovers that the reporter has been leading a double life as the maniacal Schwartzwald. Uh, as Roger climbs deep underground past the abandoned subway, uh, he is stuck by a sudden or struck by a sudden panic attack. Um, Dorothy, who had followed him, manages to return Roger's mental state to normal and brings him to where an old Megadeus known as the Archetype has been dumped. Uh, Schwartzwald suddenly appears and prepares to burn up the area when Dorothy somehow manages to activate the archetype, uh, throwing Schwartzwald off guard. Uh, Dorothy, feeling fear for the first time, is chased by the archetype um, until uh, Roger calls forth the big O and destroys it. Uh, Schwartzwald is then presumed dead in the aftermath. Um, I know you were saying of the previous episode was like the scarecrow thing, but no, this guy's <laughs> just scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, this guy's the most Batman villain. Uh, I was waiting for him to appear in these episodes because I love Schwartzwald because he is just like a like give you know, he's like wrapped in like mummy bandages and he's got like a like a like a pointy head. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Um and he's just like a sicko, like a like a Batman villain would be just like a, a little sicko because he he learned something about the nature of the world and the like the nature of Paradigm City, and it literally made him go mad. Um, great idea for character. Not to spoil, but um, obviously not actually dead at the end of this episode. They just presume that he didn't make it out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. I, I and, love Schwartzwald. And uh, was this like, did he get like, did he get the one slayer treatment? Like he has that kind of vibe. <laughs> where mean? He's kind of like. The Tumblr sexy man vibe. <laughs> Are you asking? Is is Schwartzwald a Tumblr sexy man? Yeah, like he has all like the bandages, <laughs> and I feel like that's a big Tumblr thing. And like he has like a little fucked up head. And, like it's like, like he has like a big hat. Like this. Like you can't gaslight me on this. Like this is like a a Tumblr sexy man that just came too early. Schwartzwald right? versus like... Sands, who will win? Like, <laughs> like, Reagan versus Schwartzwald. Also, who's going to die IRL? Oh, <laughs> me. It's me. I'm caught in the crossfire. Yeah, no. It like he just had that kind of vibe where I was like, the, like the kind of thing where like he's not he's not a sexy man in the show. Like he's ugly as like he looks like burnt up and shit. But like, wow, rude. Well, yeah, but like. I don't know. Like he looks like skinny Oogie Boogie from like yes. Nightmare Before Christmas. He's and, like he's that's Twink all Oogie you Boogie. need. Yeah, Twink Oogie Boogie is a Tumblr sexy man, and you can't can't tell me otherwise. Oh, uh, that's too good. I I don't think that he has well, this been was successfully. Like 2001. I guess so. There. So like I'm literally finding fan art, and yeah, Danny's on the line. I... Oh my god! <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> 
I can I mean, like see it like a vision. Wow, yeah. No, definitely definitely Twink Oogie Boogie vibes from this fan art. Um I don't know what it says about me that I love this about him. Um but uh this is the well, thing you, is you like did, you just finished Homestuck, so That's true. Uh <laughs> I assume Oogie Boogie's in that as well. I don't know. I just feel like it, it if uh now I was going to call him Oogie Boogie. If Schwartzwall is a or I think archetypically he is a Tumblr sexy man, but I don't think like there is as much of like a, a movement around Schwartzwald as there was like around the one, no. which is a shame. There should have been. Um, I'll have to dig it up because uh, they they talked about it on um, uh, when they covered Big O for Great Gundam Projects. Uh, there's still active, I mean, not active as in like people are still posting on it, um, but like still up and available. There's like an old school like uh, Big O fan website that has like all this Hell like information yeah. and stuff about it and even has like like sadly like speculation on what a third season would be about and like potential news on if it was happening or not that like you know hasn't been updated since like 2006 or whatever but it's just like a a bet on it before and it's just like a perfect time capsule for like a period of the internet that doesn't exist anymore i will um try to look that up before we uh finish uh off our our run on big o um but, yeah, God, fucking bring back fan like fan sites instead of fucking Discord servers. Definitely. Well, that's what Tumblr Please. is. That, that's that's Tumblr, right? Like Tumblr basically is like the the new like aggregate. Yeah, fan site. I mean that's the thing is it's like it's it's aggregate on there, and so it, it like like fandoms kind of cross and they cross mm. the streams. Uh, Which that's that, I think that's why Schwartz Schwartzfallen was not a Tumblr sexy man is because Tumblr is from two thousand seven. This two thousand one. Yeah. I feel like Tumblr folk are very much of the moment, things that are airing then. Uh, no one's been like, man, I think Ferris Bueller's a good twink or something like that. Everyone's kind of like, the Onceler got mm -hmm. big because the Lorax movie came out when it did. We've just got to find a way to like PsyOps Big O back into uh, pop culture and get the kids watching Big O because we we won't even have to like be like, oh, there's a like... <laughs> Check out Schwartzwalls. He's a t sexy. Like the kids will know. Right. The kids will watch episode four of Big O and be like, "Wow, there's my new sexy Tumblr man, uh, Schwartzwald, Twink Oogie Boogie." Like I feel like this might be too early to say it, but like fucking replace Cowboy Bebop and all those uh, like starter anime recommendations. Oh, a hundred percent. Just, just yeah. do it. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um. Anyway, <laughs> to get back on track with the episode. Um. So yeah, we get Angel posing as, as someone else, Patricia Lovejoy, which just makes me think of, uh, I mean, I probably shouldn't even say it because I'm like four Metal Gear games off from this, but like Dr. Strangelove or whatever in Metal yeah. Gear being like, she's called that because she loves Strangely. It's like, ah, she's called Pat Patricia Lovejoy because she loves Joyly. That's <laughs> <laughs> she... where my brain goes. Yeah. So she hires on for this assignment and... Uh... So the the description breezed over it, but he goes specifically to Major Doc 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 Dustin 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 Major Dustin, mm -hmm. uh, and he's just such a piece of shit. Um, like he has a line which I love. Uh, you may have quit the force out of disgust, but some of us are very proud of the military police. And it's like, okay, buddy, good for you, man. Uh, but he uh, gives roger like the the information that leads him to his second life he's like you know uh michael zebach had had a wife and all that but he also had this apartment that uh you know was was separate and and so he goes there and it's just like fuck it's the uh the, the girl's 
from SSS at Gridman, uh, her her room where there's like a fountain of cigarettes. Oh, yeah. There's like trash <laughs> everywhere. Um, he's just this fucked up guy, and then he lights. Uh, presumably, I mean, it must have been Zebok has like gasoline come in, and he lights a fire. And that's this is when Batman jumps out of the uh, the window, and he has a grappling hook to save himself, which I love. Yeah, he's got gadgets. He's got uh, gadgets. Yeah, love love the design of uh, his like conspiracy theory journalist room. He's just got like books and things piled up, and like you said, like the fountain of cigarettes coming out of his ashtray. <laughs> um, almost like it's like purposely arranged. It's very funny. Uh, but we get there's a couple of details that come up in the beginning of this episode that I think are interesting to to point out. Um, I think this is in like a like a, a narrative monologue from. Uh, uh, Roger, where he calls paradigm, like the company paradigm, uh, is considered both God and state. Um, mm. It's something that is said in this episode. Just interesting. And then we learn uh, the name. And I guess I think we see him in a couple shots in this episode. Um, the chief executive for paradigm is a guy named Alex Rosewater. And we don't really learn too mm-hmm. much about like his whole deal, but um, spoilers that ends up being a care, a bit of a character later on. So uh, interesting that this is like when we're uh, getting, introduction to him uh, very briefly i think like oh like they see him like um i think we get a shot later where he's like in his office but uh, uh angel and roger like see him on like the people mover or whatever uh, as they're like mm-hmm. waiting for for their car to show up or whatever um and then someone goes like oh that's alex rosewater the chief executive for paradigm um yeah to get like that that the like seen as god and state kind of thing again kind of goes back to the this and there's a lot of like christian iconography like angels and cherubs and stuff like that kind of around the headquarters again kind of signaling this cultural shift towards the divine in in light of a essentially act of god that has made the society what it is at that point kind of thing um and then roger is like all right uh this guy was investigating the past uh and you know where the past is uh it's five stories underground apparently uh it's the time to time to go below the rail track and see what's up and then is like has like visions of like ghosts and apparitions and starts like freaking out it's like am i am i afraid right now i think the quote i have written down i think this is like before he passes out he says like the time has come to face the darkness within me (laughs) it just said roger you you drama queen um and then he passes out and then dorothy wakes him up uh because she was following him the whole time um uh and he he's like he has like a like a dream or like a vision before he wakes up of like his parents his mother. i guess yeah like his mother he's, and so when he wakes up he's on his like, mother's lap yeah and so when he wakes up he says like like mama or mother and, and dorothy again like love her like deadpan sense of humor she's like did you say mama as in your mother mm. <laughs> and roger's like no i didn't um <laughs> Well, it, it, it's such a funny little like so. So he says to Dorothy, like maybe it is time to to confront the darkness or whatever. And that's when he goes into the subway, and he's like, "This ancient artifact, the subway, used to move people around for miles or whatever." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he he keeps going down, and yeah, he sees basically what looks like echoes of the past. Like it's like people walking around in kind of like nineteen twenties outfits. Um, like kind of big hats on women and stuff like that and, and all that. Hashtag bring it back. And um, he's like, am I feeling fear? Reason will bring me out of this. Like he's literally like, he's like, I got to use facts and logic to to rationalize this fear. <laughs> um, and then he uh, passes out. And, and that's when, when Dorothy 
like it's funny that the the plot description says like Dorothy manages to return Roger's mental state back to normal. It's not necessarily how it's presented, at least. It looks like he just wakes up from a dream of his mother. Yeah. Um, which, again, is kind of a major deal of, like, assumably, Roger wouldn't have... I mean, maybe he would have knowledge of his mother, but, like, it's kind of, like, nebulous as to whether or not he, he would, because it's the first time she's mentioned, and it's kind of framed in a way that this is, like, the first time that he's thought of her in a long time. Yeah. So maybe he's getting glimpses of the past now. Yeah, we don't know a whole lot about Roger's like past um this is like a, a first kind of indication of something and then also uh, it's definitely one of the previous episodes uh that we learned from his conversations with uh, uh dastin the military police guy that like um roger used to be a part of the military police and then it seems like he left basically over like a disagreement of like how they do things uh, as the mm-hmm. police um so that's about like all we know about his backstory but they're clearly like you know building something up around like him and who he was before uh he was doing his negotiator stuff that's like a classic noir story yeah yeah. oh yeah the the former cop who got disgusted with the the beat or whatever yeah yeah and Um, like having that in is like oh well i'm not a cop anymore but i still have this guy on the inside that i can talk to if i need to like see what the police know uh that i don't have access to Mm mm-hmm so then they they go to what looks like like a it's like a huge room that almost looks like a model city like there's a part where they like step over like what looks like a model train kind of thing so i got the impression that it's a model of the city well a city yeah and then did you did you catch like some of the banners that are up in like the kind of like ceiling of this um like big kind of no interior dome it's it, i don't i remember what they say but it, it's basically like an indication that it's like a kind of like world's fair type of thing where it's like come see the technology of the future um so interesting that there's a a giant mega deus right there as well mm. and then we we see uh Schwarzwald and he starts monologuing and then uh uh like drops like a gasoline rag and it's like oh no he's gonna light roger on fire but then uh dorothy just starts going nim, 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 nim. and then the the robot wakes up just like i love it when a a, a android goes <laughs> yep and then we get another like i like this fight a lot because it's like in a like enclosed space whereas all the other ones have been like you know like the last episode is literally like fighting the eel at sea whereas like this one they're in they're cramped underground um it's like a cool staging of the fight and then again like i was saying before like there's no like bad booking or whatever it's not like uh like oh the, the archetype has this uh thing that blocks the big o from doing this or it's like no it's like yeah he fights it and then like very quickly overpowers it because it's the big o it's it's the the hero mech in the show you don't need <laughs> any fanfare about it he just beats the shit out of it and then the episode can go on. well and it's it's more about like uh what's her uh, dorothy feeling yeah. fear for the first time and and she's like he's like because she she basically connects to it like that's what like that's what her going num, 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 is is her communicating with the robot and uh Roger has to basically say, like, look, you're not its friend. It's no friend of yours. Also, Big O, it's not your friend, so, like, don't hold back. Which I don't know if that's just him, like, kind of talking out, like, talking metaphorically, or if he's, like, literally saying to the Big O, like, don't hold back, but then he he shoots rockets out of his chest and blows it up. It's like Pog. But um, also I love... I don't want to skip over this because I love it. Uh, he calls. Um, oh yes, because they're running away. He calls Norman on his watch, and he's like, "Norman, how much longer?" And Norman is like looking at a roast in the oven, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> won't be much longer now, sir." 
It's like, oh, it'll be there soon. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> uh, like at, I think at a later point, after he's, like, gotten the mech, it's like, oh, yeah, thanks, Norman. It really got there right on time. And, and like, again, he's, like, looking back at the roast now that it's out of the oven. It's like, oh, it's you know, it's always prepared right on time, sir, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I can't tell if he's, like, doing double entendre on purpose or if he's just, like, so absorbed in his roast that he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was I was expecting him to, like... Like for Roger to say, like, thanks for getting it below the subway so fast, and and Norman being like, below the subway? What do you, what do you mean? Yeah, <laughs> the roast is right here. Um, that's one of the things that's really like stood out to me the most about revisiting the show is like, there's a lot of good like humor in it um, uh, that I I I'd forgotten about. It's, it's it it can be a very funny show um, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not sure yeah. I remember the show. Yeah, I remember the show being like grim, dark, like really like oh he's always smoking cigarettes and sipping on coffee or whatever it's like no he's he's a, he's a goober everyone's a big goober in this you know like we were talking about back at the first episode of just like the show having really great like noir vibes um you know and this kind of like city caught out of uh sync with like the past um literally and and metaphorically um like it's got those vibes to it like the world just feels like it's like moved on and like out of out of phase with how it used to be but like there's still like life in the world like people are still like you know laughing with each other and sharing music and and good food and and that kind of thing it's not like real dour and like nihilistic in a way that like you're saying before like a lot of like real bad like cyberpunk fiction can be Uh, or maybe not bad but like emblematic of a lot of cyberpunk fiction where it's like this is like kind of like balancing the line between like yeah it's a, like a kind of a greasy slimy world but also like people are able to like find a life for themselves within it yeah or like any east coast fallout stuff yeah oh, it's been 300 years since the apocalypse well still everything's rubble <laughs> um and then uh this is the first episode i think that ends with the you know instead of uh we have reached an agreement it is uh no side because because schwartzwald just kind of is presumed dead at the end so it's like oh wow really beef that one up better luck next time <laughs> no negotiation this time all right uh anything else about episode four nope all righty um oh i do have, do have one more thing again the noir connections um i think it's when he sees or he goes to see dastin in the police office there's some good like lighting with like venetian blinds a very noir thing of course and then um also just like the framing of the story being like oh a missing journalist who dug too deep into the truth like that's a classic like noir story uh, so really like that though in this case he wasn't like disappeared by someone who found out who knew he knew the truth <laughs> he just like went crazy <laughs> yeah instead he, he turned into a batman villain um mm-hmm. all right uh well our boy our sexy tumblr man uh michael sabok uh aka schwartzwall is voiced by uh hori uh katsunosuke uh he is Fu in full metal alchemist brotherhood he is Hans Axel von Fersen in uh, Rose of Versailles. He is General Revel in the Gundam movie trilogy. Uh, he voices a character called Lawrence the Third in Loop on the Third Part Two, which, if I'm remembering correctly, is like a like a joke reference to Lawrence of Arabia um, in the episode. And then he voices, uh, as one maybe might expect, just a bunch of random old men in a bunch of different anime. write all those down but rest assured he's getting work as an old man um and then the dub voice actor uh for schwartzwald is michael uh mcconaughey who is d in vampire hunter d 
Uh, he is Ramba Rawl in the dub for the Gundam movie trilogy, which is great. Um, he is Keiichi Ikari and Paranoia Agent. Uh, Crank Zent in Gundam IBO. He is Mad Mug in Gundam S- or SD Gundam Force. Um, and then more uh, Lupin dub history bullshit. He is Count Cagliostro specifically in the Streamline dub for uh, Lupin the Third Castle Cagliostro. More on the manga entertainment dub version of the count when we get to another voice actor oh my god because again lots of weird through lines there with lupon voice actors this time uh and then uh dan dastin the police i think he's a lieutenant uh, but the like military police guy uh that roger always talks to is voiced by uh tesho genda who i thought we talked about and then i realized i just didn't mention him even though i made notes for him when we talked about uh ghost in the shell because uh, he is chief nakamura in ghost in the shell um but he is also kurama the nine-tailed fox in naruto he is dazzle zabi in uh mobile suit gundam movie trilogy uh he is slagger law in so this is weird he is dazzle in the movie trilogy but not in the tv series he is Slegger Law in the Gundam TV series, but not in the movie trilogy. <laughs> um, then he is Terry Sanders Jr. in Gundam 08 The Mess Team. Uh, he is Shu in Dragon Ball. He is D in Project Aiko. Uh, he is Ray in Ursa Yatsura, the original. Um, and then just like a fuck ton of other random anime guys. Dude has like a ton of credits. Um, very recognizable voice. Um and then in the dub, uh, Dotson is voiced by Peter Lurie, uh, who was the second uh, Hokage and Kitomaru in Naruto, and then Jagi in Fist and the North Star. Um, those are the only notable things I have for him. Uh, that brings us to episode five, which is called Bring Back My Ghost. Uh, Roger is hired by a wealthy and blind old woman to f- uh, help find her son, Bonnie Frazier, in time for her birthday the following day. However, Bonnie died during a protest a year ago. Uh, The informant Big Ear tells Roger about a superstition where a ghost appears by the river when the fog is thick enough and that three of the top brass of the military police have already died apparently after seeing it. As a colonel named Anthony Gauss heads back to the military police headquarters, he realizes that Bonnie is still alive. Uh, and falls into the river after seeing the ghostly figure. After the military police fail to attack this figure, Roger arrives in the Big O, ready to fight, but his attacks pass right through it. He discovers that Bonnie uses a ghostly Megadeus known as Osrael to show a projected image of the figure, thus explaining its uh, transparency. He destroys Osrael, and Bonnie later explains uh, that after he fell into the river the day of the protest, his life was saved by Osrael, um, which was submerged uh, in the water. Bonnie goes uh, to see his mother the night of her birthday, making her cry tears of joy. Um, His mother then passes away, and Bonnie turns himself in. Uh, That is the episode. Um, What do we think about the ghost mech? Yay or nay? Cool? Cool or non-cool? The the most cool. I love it. Yeah. Like, cool, but my brain immediately went to, um, what is it, (laughs) SCP-173 with the design, and I... (laughs) I do not know. Oh, is that the one that just thinking about that the entire time? Is that the one that you you have to keep looking at? Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. I could see that with like the 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 like kind of like blue and red circles. Yeah. Um, I loved it. <laughs> this also big Scooby Doo vibes where like they're basically like revealing like like there's like must be a million Scooby Doo episodes where it's like and then he used a projector to to get mm-hmm. the the ghosts or whatever. It's basically that's basically what's happening here is like there's a projector on on bonnie's mega deuce and right 
I love the fucking like as the big O's falling, he basically like calculates where it must be coming from, and then uh, fucking Giga blasts him with uh, his laser, his big purple laser beam. Yeah, it's it's great. He doesn't even like like triangulate the location and then go like okay and then i have to go over there and fight it it's like oh i know where you are now and then like targets it blasts the shit out of it and that's the end of the fight <laughs> it's like that's mm-hmm. all i needed was just to figure out where he was um yeah the ghost the ghost mech which like is transparent and like projects itself um but also has the world's most powerful fog machine <laughs> because we find out all the mysterious <laughs> fog that's been going on in the city is entirely the result of this uh Megateus. um it's cool. I think the coolest thing about this episode, though, is the whole framing of it, of, like, this cop that basically gets, or they, they try to kill him, find out, you know, he survives, because he, like, knew, I'm trying to remember the specifics of it, but, like, basically, like, knew something about this labor dispute that the military police were caught up in, um, and, like, was killed to be silenced. Again, like, not as foregrounded as it is in like the electric city episode but again like you know the issue of like labor in this world like coming up is like there's a labor dispute and the military police are literally like dispatched to like charge against the rioters um i don't know it's cool cool world building like and it doesn't take a like a centrist kind of viewpoint to it where it's like oh the police there's there are good police and you know uh you know and like both sides of the protest had good points or whatever it's like no very clearly the workers are are good and the police are bad (laughs) and like that's it the only good cop uh is bonnie who is shot and and thrown off a bridge because i believe that the um so yeah bonnie like bonnie basically told someone yeah this is what the police are doing like there's corruption here and they kill the person he told and then they they kill him or try to kill him kind of thing, um, which is what kind of sparks his revenge thing. Uh, and uh, I, again, I just love the kind of framing around it. We're like, yeah, it's a labor dispute, but again, they're not trying to both sides it. They're not trying to do like, uh, like my brain goes to like Cyberpunk 2077, where it's like, oh, the, the you have to, sometimes you have to work with the corporate or whatever, um, which Roger does sometimes, but he very much does it like he does not give a fuck about helping them. He's doing it for like the people uh, most of the time. But uh, in this case, it's like, nope, the police universally suck ass. <laughs> Even Major uh, Dastin, absolute dickhead, um, and like is is in the way of, of helping uh, Roger kind of resolve the situation somewhat peacefully. Um, and, you know, immediately, like when they roll up, they immediately start firing on uh, uh bonnie and the the ghost mech and and everything um and also uh like the show has a lot of disdain for like the wealthy just like outside of roger um like the uh the lawyer who who shows up he's like you know roger's like monologuing like oh i've had a lot of bad clients but lawyers are always the worst and and we get rule number three that people who are in the mansion have to have courtesy and sincerity which this big time lawyer does not have um but then, because Roger values women and the elderly, he goes to help the mother, um, who who is blind and is also scum, but, like, is dying. So she's like, yeah, I want to, like, reconcile with my son and, like, apologize for being a piece of shit kind of thing. It is still, like, the most, like, rich person realizing being rich is a moral failure. <laughs> like, being like, oh, damn, I, I really fucked up being a rich and, like, causing harm to the world. Uh, but I'm not going to like, you know, do anything 
that'll actually help the world. I'm just going to like make up with my son before I die. My, my dead mm. son, who, who I have no reason to believe is actually alive. Yeah, other than like having a like preternatural sense, I guess, because she knows that Roger is like looking at the wall despite or the picture despite being blind. Yeah, it's, that's the, the uh, blind first character like having increased senses almost like a sixth sense thing i not not a huge fan of that no part. it's not great yeah. but it's you know you can just have disabled characters without being weird about it it's a very um stephen king move uh <laughs> imo mm-hmm. um, not as bad as the the bebop waltz for venus episode no. in which it just entirely ignores the agency of the blind character but a bit of a bummer <laughs> Well, and I love also a uh, little, little important note. Um, the, uh, we kind of get a, like, uh, Roger asks, uh, I want to call him Bobby, Bonnie, uh, how did you, how did you get the robot? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like I got shot, there. thrown off the bridge and like, I got like, I was angry. I was like, I'm not going to die this way. And then next thing I knew, I was inside the robot and I knew how to pilot it. And it's like, okay, cool. wonder if that's going to come up, uh, in the future. Mm. yeah very interesting that like these these mega deuses are just they're just like around <laughs> just like waiting for people to stumble on them mm-hmm. the, the digi destined but it's all mega deuses right <laughs> um you don't have much more for this episode the the one other note i have about the mp is like you know they suck from the jump in this episode because like this episode starts with like a couple of mps like um making fun of a couple of like homeless people uh like camped up uh, in like an alleyway and we haven't talked about this yet, but there's like a real strong like um, class divide in Paradigm City, and it's kind of like uh, centered around like the domes. Like we didn't really talk about it, but like the way the city's set up is like parts of it are like covered in these domes that like have like artificial sunlight and like presumably like regulate regulate the weather in some sort of way. And then when you're outside of the dome, it is just like like gray. You can't see the sun. Like it's like you know real like grimy, um, and it seems like the you know the parts of the city that are outside of the dome are not taken care of as well and that's where like the you know uh, the poorer class live and then the wealthy people who can afford it live under the domes like we get a bit of that when he travels out to see uh the old lady he talks about like you know like oh you have to pay a pity pre- pity pretty penny to to live on uh east town or wherever she is um uh because it's like one of the more well-kept domes or whatever um so again, more kind of not the focus of the episode, but just more interesting world building happening along the way. Um, but you were saying, Danny, was I? <laughs> I feel like you were you were saying something like I, I cut you off to talk about the the domes. No, I don't uh, know. under the dome, Stephen King. <laughs> oh, I, another way you can kind of tell that the the MPs are pieces of shit is that uh, they're drawn like incredibly ugly, mm-hmm. um, like not just like oh they're unattractive, but like malformed almost especially the last uh major to be killed like his head is like looks like a garlic clove kind of thing like and his hair is all fucked like ugly as fuck um so that kind of like oh he's like so morally tainted that he looks like garbaggio um and then he gets thrown off a bridge shout out to that um but yeah no this this episode is very straightforward i I liked it in nice like self-contained little story that you again you learn about the characters more um, this isn't like a bebop thing where it's like, oh, there's just like no plot outside of the the current thing. Like there are like little character moments where you learn about um, Roger and his past a little bit with like his his morals, his kind of relationship to the police, stuff like that. Um, you also learn a little, like I don't know if it's important or if it's just like a placeholder thing. Uh, we see big, we you know we meet Big Ear again in this, 
his, they have a close-up of his newspaper, and it's written in German. I don't know if that's hmm. important, but I wanted to put a pin in that right now. Um, it, you know, that's I don't know if it's real German or if it's like nonsense, but there were definitely like some words in there. I was like, wait a minute. Coupled that with the fact that uh, Schwarzwald is Black Forest in German. So it's like, wait a minute. Schwarzwald, German. Is this just Germany? I've never been. How much of like the, um, do we think the uh, differences in like how like the little, you get little bits of the larger plot in this are due to like the setting staying the same compared to Bebop? Because I feel like that might be like a big part of it. Yeah, the city feels like a character. This also just has like much, like the first two episodes do all the work of like setting up the characters and relations in the world. And then it can just be like a monster of the week kind of villain of the week kind of show after that. Whereas I feel like like Cowboy Bebop never quite hits that stride. It has those episodes that feel more episodic but then it goes back to like more the overarching stuff with like vicious and stuff and it's just like it uh pun intended bebops around a little bit too much for you to really like get in the groove of one of these kinds of like episodic uh sorts of shows like i feel bebop would totally benefit from pacing like this show um even if it did like hop settings more if it, if you just had like more of like a firm like you know get everybody on the what's the name of the is it literally called the bebop the name of their ship <laughs> it's been so long since we've no the mm-hmm. no the bebop's the small ship isn't it or is that no that's like the reds star that's like the sting oh, okay yeah okay yeah sure the bebop but it's like if the ship. first two episodes of bebop did all the work to get like uh, like the you know, four or five main characters all aboard the Bebop and then just be like, all right, and then what wacky adventures are we going to get up to? Like, that's a much better, like, framing for that show than I think you get with, like, the... Sometimes it's an episode about Jet's backstory and sometimes it's about uh, uh, Vicious and all this stuff. And it's like, it can't just be one thing. It's trying to be, like, two shows at once. Um, yeah, whereas this, like, I feel like any episode, even if it's one that's not, like, immediately apparent... Uh, as being important could be referenced later as being important like if in six episodes they like bring up bonnie again and like talk about the major like the corruption and like the labor stuff i'd be like oh okay yeah they set that up earlier whereas if they did that with uh well i mean they did do that with bebop where it's like oh you have like a a major plot episode and then six episodes of basically like irrelevant non sequiturs and then you go back to that uh thing whereas this it feels like a lot more layered like it's building on itself and like the city is its own character and you learn about the world and like there's some little things going on that background like oh what's going on with dorothy like why does she know how to talk to the all the mega deuces you know why does roger have a panic attack when he goes down the subway like what's going on there but it's it's set up in a way that like you can tell it it can go back to him rather than oh yeah like the people turned into monkeys uh the eco terrorists (laughs) turned into monkeys and they're stuck in hyperspace so they're clearly not important anymore, uh, so just forget that episode ever happened. Uh, now Spike's dead. Yeah, and it all feels like connected in this, where it's, there's still like episodic plots, but like you know, like Angel shows back up, or like you've got like reoccurring characters with like big ear. It's not like so disconnected from episode to episode that you have to like reset yourself. Um, and also, people yeah. are like characterized consistently. It's not like one episode everyone's at each other's throat, and then the next episode they're like, "No, you can't leave the yeah. bebop." I'll you're my best friend or whatever 
here it's like, oh, you know Roger and Norman's kind of respect for each other and like how Dorothy is kind of shifting that dynamic a bit. Like when, I don't know if it's in this episode or the next one or which episode it was in. I don't know if I actually noted it, but uh, like Norman expresses concern over Roger and Roger's like, you know, cuts him off and you know norman's like oh i'm sorry i spoke out of turn uh and dorothy's like you know can't you see that she he's just concerned about you and you kind of get roger softening a bit and be like yeah i can see that and and kind of but like you know holding firm to his resolve kind of thing so everyone's still consistent within their own paradigm huh it's Uh. it's not like oh suddenly uh you know jet cares about other people even though he's a shitty cop or whatever. Yeah. And remember remember Lim and Lee? Oh, Lim no, and um... Jim? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't remember, actually. <laughs> I don't remember their names. That's like, wait a minute, yeah. which one died? I don't know. Uh, and again, let me tell you, because I ended up looking at a lot of random Bebop characters just by name and face and being like, wait, which guy are you? Like, the characters of this show, um, I guess we'll see two years from now after we've... Uh, been done with the show for a while um because you know it has been a while since bebop but like i like our our new favorite uh tumblr sexy man schwartzwall definitely gonna stay in my mind a lot longer than uh who was the guy i mentioned earlier uh gordon the casino owner like um, <laughs> just a lot more memorable characters in these one-off episodes than the one-off episodes of bebop which i guess to like make make clear the point we're 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 all you know making here is like you know we when we watch bebop we were kind of like taken aback by like how overblown the reputation that show has especially as like a this is your gateway to anime um and i you know if that's your if that was your gateway to anime then like whatever that's fine but i agree with what you said earlier in this episode uh danielle like this should be one of the like five anime that people are recommending as like a first time like this show is especially because like I guess, admittedly, like Bebop, it has a great dub. If you're, like, turned off by watching anime because you don't want to read subtitles for everything, like, this has an awesome dub. Um, I I highly, like, you know, most of the time we watch shows, I watch, I don't watch the dub, but I started with the dub because I knew to expect a good one, and, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, no, this is just absolutely, at least from the first six episodes, a much stronger starting point for, hey, here's... um anime and i think also um exposing people to mecca early in anime yep. experience is a good thing to do kind of important we'll see how 9 11 changes things that's that is true <laughs> <laughs> um uh and an anime 9 11 um mm. but uh um i had a thought and then i lost it um i'm so no, sorry well like for, for this being like a also like a good like mecca introduction because it's not like um I don't know, you don't get too lost in the sauce in the way that if, like, you started with, like, a Gundam show or something like that, where, like, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on to pick up in a Gundam show. Um, this, it's, like, it is a mecha show, but it's not, like, there's so much else, like, to anchor yourself to that, you like, you don't have to worry too much about, like, the uh, a lot of the typical it's concerns. It's just the no- noir with the fight scene in a robot exactly. every episode. Yeah. <laughs> don't think so. <laughs> Here, uh, here's a quick question. I just want a yes or no, because we are, I, we're, I don't want to edit a three-hour recording. Um, yes. <laughs> is Ava, yes or no, is Ava a good gateway mecha show? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, definitely watch this first. Um, well, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah the, by comparison, yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of uh, moving things along, um, got more voice actors. This is the one Japanese voice actor I took notes on that made me go, damn, I should have watched the <laughs> the Japanese um, 
uh, audio for this. Um, Bonnie Fraser is voiced by Toru Furuya, who uh, real ones know uh, is Amuro Ray in Mobile Suit Gundam. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, <laughs> huge, huge name voice actor. Um, he's mm-hmm. also Sabo in One Piece. He's Tuxedo Mask in Sailor Moon. Um, this is a funny one. He is Toru Amaro in Detective Conan, literally a joke character based around him as a voice actor. Uh, I think uh, Ikeda, who is Char, also has a similar character in Detective Conan. Um, he is Seiya Pegasus in Saint Seiya. Uh, he is Yamcha in pretty much everything Dragon Ball they've ever done. Um, we've watched this together. He is uh, not for this podcast, uh, but uh, he is Mario in Super Mario Brothers Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach. Um, oh my god. He is Ribbon's Allmark in Gundam 00, uh, and he is uh, Kyosuke uh, Kagus- or Kasuga in uh, Kimia Gure Orange Road, which um, has forever been on my backlog. And then in the dub, voiced by Steve Kramer. Steve Kramer is uh, Kiraku in Bleach. Uh, he is Goemon in the Streamline dub for Lupin Part 2 and Castle of Cagliostro. Uh, he is the third Hokage in Naruto. He is Terry Sanders Jr. in Gundam uh, 08 MS Team. We just mentioned the Japanese voice actor for. Uh, he is Matsumoto in Cowboy Bebop. Who is Matsumoto in Cowboy Bebop, anyone? Oh, he's... um. You know that one, uh, and he has a gun. Uh-huh. <laughs> and is he the the weird computer no. savant guy? Is he the the <laughs> the the white haired guy with a crow? <laughs> no, he's not vicious. <laughs> he is um, the guy who like we see him fall in love with Faye, and then he fakes his death, and then settles like Faye with oh. all of his insane uh, debt that he has. Mm-hmm. And then she rediscovers him. It's like, you asshole, I, I have to pay back your debt because you faked your death. That's him. Uh, and then he is uh, the voice of Tim Ray in the Gundam movie trilogy. Again, weird resonances across these these two uh, voice casts um, since we had uh, Tim Ray's Japanese voice actor already. Uh, and then that finally brings us to episode six, which is called A Legacy of Amadeus. Um, Sick and tired of waking up to the banging of piano keys, Roger brings Dorothy to a piano bar where he introduces her to a robotic concert pianist named R. Instro, uh, who performs a nocturne in front of an audience. Uh, it is explained that Instro's father, Amadeus, had built and owned the bar, leaving the piano for him to play. Roger asks Intro to teach Dorothy how to play the nocturne, uh, but their lesson is soon interrupted by a scientist named uh, Gaysing, uh, Gaysing, uh, who leaves shortly after. Uh, Dan Dotson, the chief of military police, discusses with Roger uh, that the city firm had bankrolled the funds for an experimental photosonic machine known as Constance uh, that went haywire. Uh, Gensing and Amadeus had been research partners until there was a lab accident, killing Amadeus and leaving Gensing the only uh, survivor. Roger and Dorothy go to visit Instro the following day. However, they find a massive hole in the wall and Instro gone missing. The two soon go to Amadeus' house, only to see Instro linked uh, inside Constance under uh, Gaysing's orders. Roger tries to snap Instro out of thinking uh, that he is a tool for this experiment, brings out Big O in an attempt to stop him. The Big O is nearly torn apart by Constance, but 
Dorothy plays the Nocturne, which distracts Instro. Uh, Roger uses the diversion to destroy Constance and inadvertently kills uh, Gasing. Instro, his hands destroyed from uh, disconnecting from the machine, realizes that he was born to be a pianist. Uh, his hands are repaired and he resumes teaching Dorothy, uh, much to rather Roger's dismay. Dorothy plays at her usual high speed and loudness, uh, earning praise from Instro. We literally get an episode that's like, uh, uh, t- turns that like joke in the previous episode about like Roger hating waking up to her piano. We get that like turned into a whole plot, and I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, the the plot description is wrong. Uh, his hands are yeah not repaired. They're they're put back on, but they say like he could like you know no one could get it as good as it used to be, but that's a good thing because it reminds uh intro what it's like to practice again like he kind of re relearns his love for kind of new f- sensations in music which is great yeah and there's also like a implication that like again plot description kind of wrong about this like dorothy's kind of teaching him at the end um mm-hmm. because he has to relearn how to play and she's still you know able to play um but I love this. It's just like Roger being like, I'm sick and tired of your loud piano playing. I'm going to go introduce you to my friend who only plays uh, like pianissimo nocturnes. So I could get some sleep down here. <laughs> God, one of the things I was like running through my mind this entire episode is the ending of our first batch of Cowboy Bebop episodes was also about like a musical prodigy, but it was in immortal child oh right oh god <laughs> and it's just like the sheer fucking difference between these yeah. two shows it's like this show has a nice plot that ties into one of our ma- main characters and a little recurring bit that's been there most episodes versus bebops oh here's a little bit of plot about like the stargates or whatever the fuck they were but it's the silliest fucking thing imaginable oh god I loved the. I'm gonna be comparing the show to Bebop the entire fucking time. Oh, which is fair. Uh, both in in content of the show and kind of the people who I don't know, like the the culture it inspires, I guess. Um, but yeah, I loved the the like, please God, I'm begging you to learn other songs. It made me think of like a parent who's like their kid is learning Hot Cross Buns on the recorder, <laughs> and it's like, please God, learn something else. And and Instro, God bless him, he's a hot robot. Uh. I don't know, something about him is just, like, even though he's, like, not too featured, something about him, I'm like, damn, that is a fucking hot man. Yeah, I love him. He's, um, he's marriage material. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I could see myself settling down with, with intro. I also love how he looks in his suit. He's, like, this, like, metropolis-looking robot man, but he's wearing, like, a nice, like, lounge suit. It's good. Mm. And then Mirror World Professor Layton shows up. Yeah, I was like, he literally looks like Mr. Hyde. Are we going to get like a Mr. Hyde plot where like uh, Amadeus, like he is Amadeus, but he like took a Dr. (laughs) Hyde drug or whatever, or Mr. Hyde drug. But no, he's just, he's just a sicko. It made me think of like both Danganronpa, like isn't there a girl in Danganronpa who has like really crazy, like spiky hair like that, that kind of goes out. Is that all the girls in Danganronpa? Yeah, I don't, you know, fucking know. Uh, but then his hat made me think of Professor Layton. I was like, what's going on? Like, Dracula ass looking, like, <laughs> geesing. Like, very, very funny character to show up. Like, unambiguously evil. Um, and it's kind of funny. Like, you know, I know, we all know that this man is evil as fuck. But the show still has to do the legwork to be like, yeah, he's evil as fuck. Like, yeah. He has to, you know, you have to go to, to uh, Dastan to be like, hey, is this guy evil? And they're like, yeah, this guy's really evil. Uh, and then finally, it's like, oh no, Instro, no, like Instro, you are a pianist. No, don't listen to uh, Professor Layton. No, but uh, yeah, God, God bless. Yeah, 
um yeah all the, all the stuff with that's just really great i love the like again like show like actually humanizing or like not not even humanizing but just like treating the androids in it as like actual people with like thoughts and emotions and like the resolve to his story arc being like oh it's not just because i was built this or like even if it is like i i genuinely just love playing the piano like that is that is a thing that brings me joy in the world and even if i don't have my fancy piano playing hands anymore like as long as i can still try like that's gonna bring me uh fulfillment um and roger having to like you know get through to him to be like you know you're not just a tool um again in like uh comparison to like his whole thing with dorothy is like oh that's that's cool like roger is learning things like he's you know we don't get it in this episode but presumably he's thinking like you know like oh wow i just like had to defend the like agency of like my android piano playing friend like what what does that mean about my uh young ward (laughs) dorothy (laughs) well and like you know there's a lot of like familial stuff going on like you know uh uh instro Instro's father essentially is dead, um, especially given that Instro, it's kind of implied in the show that he is basically a stand-in for his father's dead human son. And that's kind of the 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 in that Jinseng uses to like corrupt Instro is to like, like, oh, this is your father's legacy. You have to do it. And it's kind of like that big realization of like, oh, no, I am my father's legacy. And what I do with my life is his legacy as as well. And that, you know, it kind of affirms his life, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. Also, I have some lingering questions about the nature of uh, Instro because we get like flashbacks to like he's remembering when he used to play piano for his father, Amadeus. And it's like all silhouetted. So you don't really see like full detail, but he's like drawn like a little boy. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Is the implication that like used to be a little android boy and then Amadeus made a <laughs> an android man body, or is it like like the way I was thinking was like, oh, did Amadeus have an actual child and then something happened to that child and he made an android out of the likeness of his child, kind of like how Dorothy is like a um like a replicant of uh, or an android version of somebody's actual daughter. That's kind of how I read it, um, where. It's basically like my my understanding or my vibes was the the thing that's unique about Dorothy is not that she's an android based off of a real person, but that she is she looks like a human. Mm-hmm. Like I think Instro is basically a, a you know a, a the the not the direct memories, but like the program of someone implanting their deceased son's memories into an android but without the facade of looking like a human right yeah i just thought it was interesting though like that's 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 a thread hanging in the episode but it doesn't like get wrapped up in a way that i enjoy like you know you want some ambiguity you want like things to chew on or think about um or at least i want to and so i i liked that that's like a a little thing to notice but doesn't ever get like pulled into the forefront of the story yeah it's interesting and it's and it's not like like you said, it's not like necessarily interested in, in fully answering those things. It's kind of just like planting the seeds like, you know, it because it's like essentially it's not even like, oh, it's the, the dead son's memories transplanted into them. It's it's kind of like someone else's idea of a person transplanted into a, an android, but it doesn't really seem it, it, it kind of is treating that like as enough or as like a true statement like, oh, this is how their father saw them and therefore that's them. Um, but they don't really like 
struggle with that idea. They're not like, but like, wait, like, what was the true me? It's just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's, and also it's kind of like, that's how I was programmed, but that's not who I am now. Like, I've grown with my experience, because assumably Amadeus put his child son's mind into, or, you know, whatever, into an android, and it's since grown into a dilf butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> which... Just thinking about this as we're talking through it, like, you know, if you go on like the big O fandom wiki, it's going to present this as if it's like a fact. It's going to be like an intro was the android replicant of, of Amadeus dead son or whatever, even though there's like probably no like verifiable evidence for that. It's like, no, it's like an interesting thing to think about it. Like, you'll, you'll never know the answer, but it's cool. And I like the God like, you know, if you oh, uh, go ahead. Uh, God help you if you go to TV tropes for God. Uh, information. Yeah. But like. It's it's almost cool to me that like because it's not a question of the episode, it's like again like the way the show like treats uh, android characters with like agency is like it, it's not called into question whether that's like an authentic memory or whatever. It is because that's how he presents it. It's like oh I have this memory of you know whereas like you could definitely see another version of this another take on this of being like once it calls into question of like whether those memories are legitimate or not or if they're just like implanted on him as like the amadeus turning his son into an android uh like it kind of robs it of that like no there's an earnestness to him fondly thinking about like playing piano for amadeus and like you kind of ruin that if you turn the question of the episode into you know is he uh the android version of his dead son or whatever like it's it's interesting to chew on but if you develop that out into like the point of the episode it loses what actually works about the episode which i always hate when i like i've seen people like review media that has like robot characters in it or whatever and they're just like well it's an android so like it could just be replaced like who, who ca- i i don't care about it because it's a robot blah, 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 blah. i'm like you are so up your own ass like <laughs> what like negative iq idea of just being like well it's not it's not a real person therefore why do i care it's like fuck you get out of here um i think the only other thing i have uh maybe about this episode is the thing that made me crack up is this episode ends with the no side ending card (laughs) because the last (laughs) the last scene is like roger failing to have stopped dorothy from playing really loud because that's you know, it's like he's not really like contracted out to be a negotiate. Like he's negotiating for himself, I guess, in this episode, <laughs> uh, and he fails. Um, but yeah, we got anything? Oh, I will say the the constants is really cool. Like this, like mech that like creates like resonant frequencies that just like t- start to tear apart the big O. Like the big rivets mm-hmm. on the big O start to like unspool um, from the sonic emissions. Uh, very cool looking thing at one point you see the backside of it i'm like why does the constants have a dumpy like what the fuck <laughs> yeah, like a really bulbous butt um all right uh well uh our man instro is voiced by akio nojima um only a couple things for him he is uh rio rondo in acro bunch he is sid munzer in turn a gundam the secret worst character in turn a gundam i.e like well-written character horrible person um <laughs> secretly uh and then he is uh, uh this is the credit uh he is japanese delegate and loop on the third castle of cagliostro <laughs> it all comes back to uh, <laughs> 1982's castle of cagliostro or 1970 78 78 is when they came out um and then in the dub is voiced by kirk thornton who is Jin in samurai champloo 
Brandon Heat in Gungrave, uh, Kisame in Naruto, uh, Kai Shimada in March Comes in Like a Lion, uh, Dawn Patch in Bobo Bo 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 Bo, um, Hotori in Fushigi Yugi, Ramba Rall in Gundam The Origin, specifically, uh, Gabumon in basically anything Digimon that Gabumon has appeared in, um, uh, Anavel Gato in Gundam 0083, uh, Guile in the Street Fighter 2 movie, Asimov Solonsan in Cowboy Bebop. Do we remember who Asimov Solonsan is? Is there an episode involving robots in Cowboy Bebop? Because I can guarantee you he's in that. <laughs> he does not. Is no, he, he does guy? not play a robot or robot related character. Um, he is the bounty from the first episode. Uh, the guy with the like drugs that make your eyes bloodshot or whatever. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that that character's name was Asimov Solonsan. Maybe he has like a nickname or something that his bounty is under. But. Uh, and then, uh, as promised, more <laughs> Lupin notes. He is, this, this is this is extremely funny to me. He is uh, Gustav and the Archbishop in the streamlined dub for Castle of Cagliostro. And then in the manga entertainment dub for Castle of Cagliostro, he voices the Count uh, Cagliostro. Um, so he's in both dubs and voices different characters in both of them. Uh, he also uh, is, is apparently Igor in Persona 5 Royal. Sure. Is that the ice? Well, I'm assuming from the name, he's the guy with the long nose and the hunchback. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't. <laughs> spoiler for Persona 5, actual spoiler alert. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know which version of Igor he is in that game, though, if he's the real Igor or the bad Igor. <laughs> As someone that hasn't really played any of those games, that's not a. That does nothing to spoil. <laughs> I mean, that's just so, funny. <laughs> there's someone who would be like, wait a minute, like, why does Igor sound so fucked up? It's because he's, he's the bad Igor. Uh, and it's actually a major spoiler for the game. But Damn. I... It's fine. Persona 5 does not deserve it's true. spoiler warnings. If you're playing those games, I doubt you're playing it because you care deeply about good Igor versus bad Igor or whatever. God, I, I was like talking just thinking about the persona 4 twist ending twist real ending the other day i got mad at it it's so dumb i'm free from sin i don't i don't store any of this info literally a bit character in the first scene is the final secret Aha, boss. fooled you yeah just a fucking gas station attendant is the secret evil god pulling the strings fuck off the fuck god you. of falsehood uh igroth igroth Something like that. I think you mean bad Igor. <laughs> no, he's not a bad Igor. There's <laughs> no, only good no. Igor in that version. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, that uh, that wraps up our, our first episode on um, Big O. Uh, I guess next time we'll be watching episodes 7 through 13, which finishes off the first season. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, before we dip uh, for this episode, uh, what other uh, anime and things have, have people been doing in the last two weeks? Anyone want to go first? Yeah, I can... Okay. I can start. I'll try to go quick because it's been a long <laughs> recording. Um, I read the two most current volumes of How to Weave Relationship, still one of the best uh, Yuri manga out there, and just like, hey, here's some people in like realistic relationships where things are kind of shitty. It's, it's nice to have that stuff out there sometimes. Um, I started reading uh, Witch on the Holy Night or Mahoyo, and it's still like bizarre to me that there's a official English translation of a type moon vn liking it so far and last i read volumes one and two of other the other side picnic light novel and yeah um after reading it i understand why everybody loves it so much after uh dropping the anime because it was mid 
Nice. Yeah. Anime was extremely mid. <laughs> I, I want to read mm-hmm. the, the novels at some point. Um, Danny, what about you? Um, the only thing I think I watched was uh, I rewatched, because uh, I got the Blu-ray for it, uh, Inuo, which uh, a weird watching experience because I was like, oh, I'll I'll put it on uh you know the tv because it's a musical i'm like i'll put it on the tv uh i'm gonna i was baking a cake at the time and uh i had the worst fucking time baking that cake like my my (laughs) mixer broke uh you know it and the way it broke it basically ruined like the icing i had to like switch over it was the worst fucking time um so eventually i had to like i was like i need to calm down i need to put everything down and just watch the end of this movie and i watched the the movie it's beautiful love it amazing 10 out of 10 uh and then i i went back in and and made the ugliest fucking cake it tasted good uh but i had to make (laughs) buttercream by hand it was a whole thing um but uh but it tasted good that's all that matters people still liked it um but but yeah inuo uh, uh yuasa's most recent thing i believe um, unless he's done like a series recently, it's supposed to be some movie at least. Um, yeah, with uh, Avuchan as one of the uh, vocalists for it. Hell so. yeah, literal queen. Um, Hell yeah, I need to I need to get my hands on that. Uh, did you check out any of the features that are on the Blu-ray? Not yet. I, I think I took a nap um, after right. I needed to cool down, so I took a nap. Uh, but yes, I wanna I want to uh, see it because it's like a Q and A at the U.S. Uh, like premiere um like uh yuasa drawing inuo there's a lot of like cool kind of behind the scenes stuff um i don't don't remember what commentary tracks if any are on there um i'd I'd be curious to see uh if there are but we'll see yeah that'd be cool i I know i looked at the features at one point i don't remember a commentary track but that would definitely be great if it had one um so uh, i thought when i sat down to write my notes i was like i don't think i watched anything uh, and then it's like, oh, that's wrong. I watched a couple things we're talking about uh, that aren't just like things I'm keeping up with normally. Um, Delicious Party Precure, as previously mentioned with uh, Coco Queen, uh, ended. Um, so I watched the finale of that. Great finale episode. Really good Precure series. Um, uh, not like my favorite, but um, still really good. Liked it overall. Um, and then uh, uh, last week, the... Um, Next Precure uh, series started, uh, which is called Soaring Sky Precure. Uh, the theme of this one seems to be both like uh, heroes, but also, which I guess like Precure always is, right? But the, like one of the characters has a thing about like, I'm going to be a hero and that gets to me. I love that shit. Um, uh, makes it a little bit more tokusatsu-y than uh, like Precure already is. Um, and then seems to be, I don't, it hasn't really developed in the first episode and I haven't watched the second episode yet. Um, but uh bit of a theme about like maybe vtubers i think there's like a throwaway line in the first episode about like a cure tuber so it's like oh what's that oh um, but i really oh liked God. the first episode again like the whole her the main character's whole thing or like the main precure's whole thing really got to me she's a great character um and uh love the character designs which i was like why are these character designs so good um and i looked it up and the character designer also did character designs for Love Live Superstar, which I also adore those designs. So I was like, okay, that that checks out. Oh, hell yeah. Um, so I say this every time I start a new Precure uh, series as it's airing, but uh, probably a good one to get on board if you have been interested in Precure. Um, never a bad Precure to start with, but this one seems really promising so far. Um, so I'm excited to keep up with that week to week over the next year. <laughs> and then um, wasn't planning on watching it, but then uh, Mike Tool from... Uh, anime news network and and uh the 
discotheque streams. Um, that's where a lot of people probably know him from. Did a watch along on Twitch for Lupin the Third versus Cat's Eye, which is the most recent Lupin thing. Just kind of like dropped on Amazon out of nowhere um, internationally. And people are like, whoa, I can watch that now. Um, so I watched that. I watched the dub because uh, it was easier to keep up with. Um, and uh, had a good time. I'm not like super uh, into Cat's Eye. Just haven't watched a lot of it. I want to get those discotheque Blu-rays. The biggest thing I know about Cat's Eye is that uh, Henri did the first theme song for it. Uh, literally just called Cat's Eye. And that song's a banger. And I love Henri. Um but I was mostly watching it for the Lupin stuff, which um, it's kind of it kind of splits the difference between being, you know, as the title implies, like it's both enough of a cat's eye thing and a Lupin thing that I think fans of both um, uh, will have like enough to get out of it. Uh, it's like 3D CG animation, which I know some people were really turned off by when this was announced, but I think it mostly works well. It's like, you know, well directed as well animated for what it is. Um, and it's, you know, it's 90 minutes, so you're not going to waste a ton of time with it. I think like most Lupin things, you'll know if you want to watch it or not. Because for me, it's just like, oh, a new Lupin thing. Of course I'll watch it. Um, well, I was like pleasantly surprised by it. And then my one non-anime thing, I finished Pokemon Scarlet last night, uh, finally. Like, what, three, four months after it came out. Um, and really like the ending. I think that game does some cool things at the end that I was surprised by for a Pokemon game. Um, nothing like yeah god the ending of that yeah game is like so nothing good. like revelatory like other things have done that kind of storytelling like just as well but to see it in a pokemon game i was like oh they've really like come a long way in these recent pokemon games of like actually telling interesting stories and not just doing the same story beats over and over game after game which is fine but it's like I i'm glad that they're pushing boundaries like each new pokemon game really feels like it's like adding something new to the mix and also like improving on what was added on the last one like uh you know, the big thing with Sword and Shield having, like, the more open-world kind of areas, and then this one having that be the whole game, uh, and it really adds a lot, I think, to the experience of, of playing a new Pokemon game. I don't know. I really liked it, and obviously there's, like, post-game stuff to do, and uh, I definitely have to do the uh, gym leader rechallenge so I can fight my boy uh, Larry again. Uh, I love Larry. <laughs> I had the exact same reaction that I think was Coronet or maybe some other VTuber had, where it was just like, oh my god, he's a put-upon office worker. I love him, <laughs> like, instantly. <laughs> like, that was me. <laughs> you also need to help me That's uh, true. finish the Pokedex. <laughs> uh, I would like to do that. Um, but yeah, Pokemon was great. Um, just wanted to say that. Uh, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, uh, like I said, Next time, we'll be back with episodes 7 through 13 of Big O. I have been your host, Austin. You can find me on Twitter at chai underscore squared. Uh, you can find the new podcast that me and Danny are doing now uh, called Grind My Metal Gears, where we are playing through the Metal Gear Solid games, uh, where I have not played them before. Danny has. Lore Master Danny guiding me along the way. Um, I think by the time this is out, the first episode of that will be out. It's like our episode zero, where we kind of unpack uh what we're doing and talk through it sounds more exciting than than it is or it's, it's more exciting than it sounds i promise we talk through the main menu of metal gear solid which <laughs> turns out there's a lot to talk about uh just within the main menu we talk for about an hour about the main menu of the game yes oh my god uh, let's well, be, fair, like, be more specific <laughs> like the cutscenes within the main menu yeah um and the main menu has like a recap of the original metal gear and metal gear 2 uh, which we talk about what goes on in there. I think it's a good time. I'm having a great time recording it. I think people, if you like this podcast, I think you'd really like like that, but um, having fun making it. So uh, that's all that matters. Uh, but check that out. We're on Twitter for that, at uh, GrindMyMGS. Um, and then you can find us on any plat po podcast platform that you can find uh, this podcast on. Uh, Danny, where can people find you? You can find me at CoverMeAndSauce on Twitter. 
and Danielle. I am at Yuri Bunny with one N on Twitter. Did you did you change ats again? Or am I just not keeping up? Uh, this one was like okay. a month or so ago. Not the first, but po- I think this is the third podcast with gotcha. that at. I think we um, still need to update our pinned tweet, which has your your old at. Oh. <laughs> at <Les Bunny. laughs> um, all good, though. Yeah. We'll do that one of these days. Um, all right. Uh, well, that'll do it for us this time. Uh, Danielle, why don't you take us out of here? All right. Uh B crimes, do gay, and God, is this show making me feel justified for our Bebop hot takes? <laughs> <laughs>